Hey, welcome to the 299th episode of The Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently talking about John Byrne's Fantastic Four run from like 1985. So a lot of, a lot of big big things coming. Uh, really shaped who the characters are, are today. So it's, it's really good stuff. Sometimes talk about movies. Sometimes talk about like off of mind comic book topics. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanfromheck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That's ko-fi.com slash heck. So this week, we're going to talk about this movie called Fast X, which is weird. It's Fast X. Because for a long time, I was, I was like Fast and Furious X, 10. Fast X, Fast 10. Fast, fast, is there any reason why it's Fast X? I mean, there's Fast X, Fast... There's no catchy thing. I mean, what do you do when you get to that 10th friggin' movie? Yeah, so uh, you can hear hear about what I have to say about that, uh, and then um, there's going to be a new new show. So I, I think I, I mentioned this. I, actually, I don't remember if I mentioned this. So there's a show on Apple TV Plus called Silo, and I think right now there might be five episodes out because they did four episodes the first two week. Maybe there's four. So I'm going to do. I don't know. Maybe there's four episodes out. Four or five. Regardless, so because um, other shows are ending, you know, the, the Flash has one more, you know, this week and then next week. That's it. Um, Citadel, I'm, you know, a week behind, but there's only six episodes of that. So we're going to pick up Silo and, and I, I don't know, maybe there won't be any much TV going on. There's got to be something else coming. So I'm going to talk about the first two episodes of Silo, which is really I'm I'm just fascinated with the show. So, yeah, I, I, I really want to get caught up, but. I got so much other stuff to watch and everything, but you can you should definitely be be watching it. And then, like I mentioned, the Flash got the penultimate episode, and then I'm gonna talk about Citadel, the fourth episode, and I think the fifth episode is out now, so you can you know wait or catch up or jump ahead or whatever. But with the news, um, not not a whole lot of news, but uh, one thing that I thought was interesting, just I guess start with this, is there was a, a teaser for uh, Secret Invasion. And I, I know there was one out before. What I liked about this, it was a very simple teaser. It doesn't really show much, but it was just like the main thing is like, what if the ones closest to us, the ones that we trusted with our, you know, our whole lives were someone else entirely? And what if they weren't even human? So I just think, um, I mean, the whole idea behind Secret Invasion, I just think it, it's so freaky. Just the, the, the idea that these the scrolls, these aliens, shape-shifting aliens, that they can just come in and replace someone. You know, like like so so close and, and just like you'd have no idea. There's there's no way to tell. And then where you know where it gets tricky is like, okay, is there any like telepathy? It's like how do they know how to, you know, look up, you know, how do they know like all all their their backgrounds or I I remember years back and um if, if you know I'm, I'm probably dating myself here but my parents for, for a while like i mean i think it was when i first got a, a video recorder they're watching soap general hospital and there was this whole thing where there was this this dude grant putnam 
who was like a doctor, and he actually got replaced by a spy. I don't know if it's supposed to be a Russian spy or some some other country spy. And basically, they he got plastic surgery, and he replaced this guy to infiltrate the United States. I guess there was just supposed to be this disc with I don't even remember what was on there that they were supposed to. See. I'm, so it was. I, I vividly remember this. My parents watching this and kind of getting hooked as a kid. Like, so the whole thing is he took over this person's life and no one knew it. And this is, you know, we're talking plastic surgery and stuff like that. But the idea where an alien could just like, you know, like that, just change. And then they're looking like someone else. So it's, it's freaky. And, uh, you know, I, I, in my heart, it, it, it could be like, Oh, we can bring back black widow or we can bring back iron or iron man. You know, anyone who's died, they can say like, Oh, they didn't really die. And, and then, you know, you could always say, it's like, well, the, the scrolls are so deep undercover that they actually believe they were. So they did these heroic things, but they're not going to do that. But So I'm really curious to see how, to, I'm, I'm hoping that's going to be good. Deadpool 3, little minor news. Negasonic Teenage Warhead will be uh, returning in, in that. So that will be good, I guess. Let's see, you know, what little rolling eye rolls and witty comments, you know, she'll have to make against Deadpool. You also have Yukio. <laughs> uh, should, yeah, so it'll, it'll be it'll be nice to see them too. Deadline says that Chitwatel Edgio Four, who what was he just in recently that I I just watched I talked about, but he's um, Carl Mortal in Doctor Strange. He's cast in something as some. He's going to be in Venom Three. So okay, here we go because Venom is is I I just actually mentioned you know. Oh, students were talking about like Mar- the students said to girls like oh you like oh you been watching Marvel movies she's like no I saw Spider Man and I was like that's like not really even Marvel that's like Marvel adjacent you know it's, it's kind of hooked you know kind of tied but because it's Sony it's not full on Marvel but it kind of is but if you you go with that uh, if Spider Man is Marvel adjacent Venom is I don't even know what you call that. We we had the little crossover thing that who knows if anything is going to come with that with Eddie Brock and you know a multiverse and the I guess the question is is he going to be Carl Mortal or is he going to be like just someone totally different and you know we we've seen other actors play different characters and I I feel like with Venom you could get away with it because it's not necessarily an MCU and if you are talking about multiverse then it's it's possible that you you could have two completely different people look pretty identical just by coincidence just by the infinite possibilities so who, who knows we'll see um there's a rumor that all the episodes of echo will drop on the first day which you know disney doesn't really do that and um i forgot who said this but someone the, the of course they're saying that this means that disney wants it out of people's minds as soon as possible like asap so it's like okay, watch these all and then move on. We'll forget about it. If 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 that's the thinking, then can't the same be said for like all every single Netflix series that all drops on day one? No, see, no, but I don't know. And and you know people are are, are talking about like I think I, I saw some. I didn't read the article. Or I didn't read any the the bit about it. But supposedly Kevin Feige thought that Echo was unreleasable before reshoots or. I, I don't know what drama or what if, if it was just poor writing or what I don't know what what people are complaining about 
And I'll admit, you know, Echo's not my favorite character. I, I'm not like overly attached to, to her or anything like that. Her role in Hawkeye was, eh, you know, she was she played a role, you know, as a, you know, the a, a conflict or whatever. But I, I feel like there's so many other characters that I would love to see before. You know, I'd, I'd take a Squirrel Girl series. I, I, I find Squirrel Girl so much more fascinating over than, than Echo. And and I don't know. I mean, nothing against Echo. You know, I, I guess you know it is cool. You know, with the, with the disability and and just the fact that you know, I I just don't know. There's just something about her performance or not performance, but her her character in Hawkeye, and, and maybe because she was just so angry, and it was like okay, you know, she had this vendetta in against Ronan against Hawkeye because her dad was killed. But it's like your dad was doing shady stuff. He was working for the Kingpin. And he, you know, he and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, you maybe have this vigilante coming and brutally killing all the bad guys. Maybe that's not okay, but don't be a bad guy. <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I mean, I, we'll see what happens. But there's also a rumor. I won't spoil this. Uh, that there's going to be like a, kind of a big cameo in the second episode. So we'll we'll see. I don't know. Uh, James Gunn had some things to say. You know, he, he's constantly making comments on Twitter, Twitter, which is which is nice because you know you don't really get a lot of this. And um, he he's just so quick. There's one one site that was making up stuff. Like I, I think they kind of said that he was going to work with Margot Robbie now because she's possibly working with doing something with Marvel or something like that. And he's like, why are you constantly spreading these lies about people I care about and stuff like that? And, and I, I saw something else. He made a comment about someone else. Cause a lot of people always take these tweets or whatever. And they're like, Hey, James Gunn comment on this. And, and he's like, it's like every single thing that that, that handle says is a lie. So it's just like, and I don't get why people would, well, I get, you know, I guess the idea is say something crazy and say it with some like confidence and then people kind of take it and run. And I, I guess the idea is like, oh, if I'm totally wrong, then you'd be like, oh, they changed their mind or this, they backed out or this or that, whatever. And maybe you're hoping that people will kind of, by the time it comes out that it, that's wrong, that maybe people will forget, but they'll already be, you know, following you, you know, start following you or whatever. And then they'll not realize like, wait, what you said was totally crazy. And I, I just, I don't understand why anyone would, would do that. Someone asked uh, about Guardians of Galaxy Volume 4. And he said that there's no real chance for that. And he says... Because then someone else is like, well, you know, Marvel could still do, you know, another Guardians of the Galaxy just without, you know, James Gunn or something like that. And he's like, so basically he wouldn't be involved. And he said that nor would all the actors because, you know, some people are like, I'm done and everything like that. And he says, or it wouldn't be called volume four. You know, I'm, I'm a big James Gunn supporter. You know, I got his back, you know, whatever. But his whole thing is he's basically saying that if they do another Guardians movie, that it shouldn't be called volume four. I think that's like his big thing. I get what he's kind of saying it, but why couldn't there be a volume four? Because to me, the weird thing is when you had volume one, volume two, it doesn't, to me, when I think volume, 
I think like a fresh start, like something totally different. So kind of like if we did an Avengers movie, it'd be like Avengers Volume 2 because it's a totally different Avengers team where like Guardians Galaxy 1, 2, there may be minor changes here or there, but for the core, the most, you know, the heart of it is still kind of the same. So I, I don't know, but I get what he's saying that, you know, he was always saying it was going to be a trilogy. So, you know, call it Volume 1, 2, and 3, and maybe it's just different than saying Part 1, Part 2, Part I don't know, but... Like if if Marvel really wanted to do another Guardians of the Galaxy movie totally different, I think they have every right to call it whatever heck they want. If they want to call it Volume Four to keep up the consistency, that's fine. Because then what are you going to do? I mean, but I guess also the fact that they you don't want to limit. You know, it seems like movies are moving away from numbering. Like uh, Mission Impossible, what what number is this Ghost? Is it Ghost? That's not Ghost Protocol. That's another. Honestly, I don't even know what number. Mission Impossible is coming out, and I don't think they want you to think that because they're they don't want people to be like, oh crap, I haven't watched the last five movies, I can't watch this. Maybe I'll just wait and catch up someday. Versus like, oh, new Mission Impossible, okay, I'll go see that. And I don't know, so who who knows? The one interesting thing. So this is a teeny tiny minor spoiler, not really for the movie. So sixty second spoiler, if that, not even that much. But here he goes, spoiler. One of the things that Groot says towards the end, he's like, here we go, spoiler, I love you guys. I kind of didn't like the fact that this happened, and I was like, all right, that's kind of weird. Fine, maybe he's learning. But apparently what James Gunn said is he's still talking in his language. It's just that we, the audience, have been around him long enough that now we're starting to understand him. Okay, fine, that's kind of cool. I get that because that's how everyone else is in the movie. But at the same time, what if we see Groot in another movie? Are we going to be able to understand him? Maybe. Or I don't know. See, that that's where it's just, but whatever. <laughs> I guess you just don't, don't worry about that. Uh, and then also kind of related, Bradley Cooper, supposedly, I don't know if there's any truth to this, supposedly he turned down a role of playing Lex Luthor in Superman Legacy. I, I don't know if there's any truth to that. There's also a rumor, I think it was Emma Stone, was that she turned down or she was the first choice to play Sue Richards, Sue Storm in the Fantastic Four. But I think, she, I guess she turned it down. I don't I, I have no idea if that's there's any truth to that. And it's just, it's weird. Because, like, how do people find, find this stuff out? And, you know, if it's not officially announced. And because I think I heard that, what was it, Michael J. Fox turned down or I, I think he was on a, a, a I don't know if it was the view so some with Whoopi Goldberg so is, is she still on the view is she back on the view I don't know that supposedly he turned out he was supposed to be in, in a ghost is it was he supposed to be Patrick Swayze I don't know I I, yeah, I didn't dig any further but it's like Whoopi Goldberg didn't even know I think that's how they were I don't know if it was Entertainment Weekly that, that someone mentioned this and it was kind of like a surprise to Whoopi Goldberg so it's like it, it's just weird that, you know, there's all this stuff that happens and no one knows about because I guess, you know, if when you try out for a movie, one, maybe you weren't even close or maybe something, you know, in the contract didn't work out or timing, you know, who knows? Or, or maybe at the end they're like, you're so close, but we're going to go this route. And then, you know, you don't want to say, yeah, I lost out you know, getting this role to someone else because I wasn't as good. You know, no one wants to say that. So uh, who knows? Um, but that would have been weird. I mean, I, I love Michael J. Fox, and but yeah, I don't know about him and Ghost. 
Um, a rumor, Dave Filani's Star Wars movie is maybe going to be called Heir to the Empire. Who knows? There, I, I'm, I, it kind of bothers me that I'm seeing like so many rumors posted now. It's like, is there not as much concrete news? And it's kind of bothered me that I, I know, and here's a, a, the hypocritical thing. Why am I talking about these rumors? And it, it's the whole thing, because if it's true, let's get this information out there. And, you know, it is out there. People are obviously clearly talking about it, talking about it which is how I'm seeing it. But if it's not true, then we just know, okay, some people are crazy or whatever people change their mind, I guess. And then um, not a whole, like I said, not a whole lot of news. Uh, the last bit is uh, there was an image that, that leaked out or whatever. Winona Ryder as like Lydia Dietz, Beetlejuice 2. You know, she has like hair and like makeup. And so it looks like she's uh, she's getting ready to, I mean, that that's crazy. Like, didn't they just like confirm it or something like that? And now it's, it's already like, she's already like in hair and makeup. So I guess that that's cool. So I was like, wow. Um, and wow, because uh, again, like I said, short news. That's it for the news this week. With comic books at Image Comics, uh, we had... Okay, so I, I was tempted to read this. I, I, I didn't... I have the issue. I didn't read it. Arcade Kings, number one of five. Dylan Burnett um, wrote and drew this. Um, he also did Ant-Man, Cosmic Ghost Rider, unveils a new prestige comic series sensation perfect for fans of Invincible and Murder Falcon. Joe, a mysterious new face in Infinity City, has suddenly become the hottest new player at the Roundhouse Arcade. Anyone can challenge him, but no one can win. But Joe's secret pass is about to catch up to him when his most formidable challenge yet rolls into town, forcing Joe to combo his powers with a joystick, his fists, and his fighting family legacy. I don't know. Uh, I'm, but like I said, I'm... I'm tempted. So uh, look for that if, if that sounds good to you. Dark Ride issue six came out. So this is uh, Josh Williamson and Andrea Bresson. It, it felt like not a whole lot happened in this issue. You know, there's there's still stuff going on where. So, okay, backing up. You know, we, this dude kills his wife and like sells like does makes a deal with the devil type of thing. Builds this horror themed theme park. And um, then, you know, he, he had his before or before his wife died or maybe it's another way. He had two kids, you know, boy and a girl. I think they're twins. Pretty sure they're twins. And then it kind of became a, a recluse, you know, and he's, and he's just constantly designing, working this stuff. So the, the son is kind of like running the park or, you know, doing stuff. And uh, like the daughter, she I think she's like a musician and, you know, she's like out there on social media, you know, just doing all this stuff, kind of gothic and whatever. And uh, there's mysterious things happening in the park. Like this, this kid were in the first issue, got a job there. Um, there's like some creepy people in the costumes, you know, like the mascot costumes, whatever. But then this this kid gets a job there. He he gets killed, and, and then then his sister gets a job there because she's trying to find out like what happened to her brother type of thing. So here, like the son's like trying to investigate. So here he's getting pulled into it because like some some stuff's happening to him and his family and we we, we see like beneath the park type of thing like we see kind of like another side and there's like some other stuff so it's, there's like more layers and stuff going on and then uh there's a development happening coming with with like the dad so you know things are definitely moving along but it's just like I'm not really sure 
where this is going. And and again, that that's always a good thing because you know who wants to read something that's predictable where you know it's like going to go from here to there. So this is it's, it's pretty interesting. To uh, yeah, I have no idea what's what's going on. <laughs> and the other thing, I don't know what's going on. Giant um, cockju, co- which it, I didn't realize that that was what it was called. I thought. So, giant coke, coke ju- I think maybe I thought it was coke ju, but it's cock ju. It's supposed to be like a kaiju, uh, the giant kaiju. Um, so, this is by Jerry Duggan, Scott Koblish. And this is such a weird comic. Basically, you have a giant kaiju emerge out of the ocean into San Francisco and is basically trying to have sex with all the buildings. It, it's just, it's like horned up. And by horned up, I mean like horny. It is uh, trying to mate. It's mating season, and this thing is going. And it it's also like I, I think it's it's poos like it's like this acid poo when it poops. But then like these little like other creatures come out, and things are getting you know buildings are getting destroyed because he's trying to have sex with everything, just thrusting into everything, and uh, <laughs> and it was just like all the acid going around, and it's, so it's like. There's a scientist dude who may hold the answer to defeating him, and so we're, we're finding out more, like, oh, how and why. And uh, it's just... So it's it's it pretty uh, it's pretty absurd, I guess, if we're being honest. And uh, But there is there is a, a good amount of story aligned, you know, so it's not just about a kaiju trying to have sex with buildings because it there's nothing else. It's same size. It's just... Yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of weird, but like that. <laughs> so, so very, very, yeah, interesting. Then we had the Little Monsters thirteen. So this is the final issue, and um, I, I love this series. You know, Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. I mean, this was great. Part of me was like kind of sad to see it end, which I think you know we we could definitely have more. There, there's definitely room for like a volume two, and and maybe they will someday. Who knows? But this was a series that always kind of kind of sort of stressed me a little bit because, you know, you have these kids, they're like innocent kids, but they're vampires. They don't know that, that, they don't really understand that they're vampires. They know that they can't go out in the daylight and they can only go out at night. They play hide and seek at night or whatever, but they don't realize, you know, they don't have like the bloodlust type of thing because they they weren't aware of it until a a couple of them actually become aware of it. And then you kind of have this this, uh, divide between the kids because they're like, oh, they never told us, you know, the, the adults before they left, before they left them, the adult vampires, whatever. They're like, we didn't know about this. And and yeah, so it's just it's almost like heartbreaking way to see these kids like some of them becoming scary and just like arguing against each other because they're almost like a family. So, yeah, there's some. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Um, and so, yeah, last issue. Definitely you should check out this whole series if you haven't. And then there is no one issue three so this is by kyle higgins and brian buccellato um geraldo geraldo borges does the art and um this is this is it i, I really, really i'm fascinated with with this here the series of the whole approach because there's this investigation you know who is this no one character and you know so we have this investigation going and there's a podcast going along with it and you know, there's been like copycasts. So it's like you know, they don't really know. So it's it's a lot of seeing, almost like behind the scenes of investigation. Different people like trying to figure out what's going on, and it just the fact that there's all these layers. But also, it's because you know, each issue takes place kind of like in real time. So you know, we're here in May, you know, 2023. So time is passing, and you know, there's still no answers. And 
So it's it's um, and then this issue, you know, there's just no one kind of takes another step and kind of does something, and uh, yeah, and I don't want to spoil anything more. So it's it's definitely you, you should check that out. At DC Comics, we had Superboy: The Man of Tomorrow issue two. I'm I'm not digging this uh, completely. So we have Connor, which is great to see Connor back because he's been in limbo. He's been gone for for years, and uh, he's back. But because there's so many people in the super family, he it was like too crowded on Earth. So he decides to go out where he's needed. He goes out in space. He goes to another planet. So he's involved with some other stuff, and you know, he's he, there's this whole scenario going on that he's dealing with. I, I think so. What I don't like is one that it's not on Earth, and you have these basically new characters that I don't care about, and and they're kind of being jerks to him, whatever. Which you know, whatever, that's fine. You need the conflict and the drama, but I just we're seeing these other characters, and I don't know because some of them kind of have like an attitude and, and stuff like that, and it's just like who are you? It's like I don't even care about these characters. So I would rather he be be on Earth, but then I guess you know how would you differentiate differentiate the story between like uh, Jonathan Kent, you know, Superboy, and so I don't know. It's just it's. I'm hoping it gets better. We'll, we'll see. Uh, Titans issue one. Um, this was uh, so. First of all, there's something kind of big and crazy that happens. We'll just say there's potentially the death of a major character. And um, I don't think I need to s- tell you how I feel about comic book deaths. Um, I hate them. I think they're the stupidest thing ever. So uh, there's obviously more to it than that, and that, that can't be the case or whatever. So we're, we're seeing, you know, as a team is getting ready to move into blo- new Bloodhaven headquarters, there, there's some uh, some other stuff going on. There's, there's some conflict because... Because the Justice League isn't around, you know they they disbanded. The Titans are kind of stepping up, and this big incident happens, and then Peacemaker shows up, of course, and he's kind of being a jerk, saying you know because he's working for the government, and you know we're not talking like it's not the kind of goofball Peacemaker from the the series, the, the HBO series. So he's just coming in like making demands and stuff like that, and. Uh, so we got that part, which okay, that that's fine, but I don't know. We'll we'll see where it's gonna ha- what where this is gonna go. And it is kind of kind of weird because you know they're they're when they're move, moving in, they're like, well, where's Wally's room or something like that? And they're like, well, Wally's married, so he's probably not gonna be living here at, at, in Titan Tower. And I don't know. And it, it it's also a weird thing is okay, you have your headquarters. It's like a public thing. It's like okay, this is where they're at. So of course enemies are going to want to attack it. And you know what what happened to the, the Titans Academy? Have they just completely given up on that because it got destroyed? So they're like, yeah, maybe this wasn't a good idea, but we're going to build another T tower in another city. I don't know. Because <laughs> how many is, is this? Like the third one now? Because it was didn't it used to be in in San Francisco and then they made one in New York and then that's where he made the school and then that got destroyed. Um, Wonder Woman 799. I didn't enjoy this. There's, there's a lot of like kind of like dream flashbacks and it's just, I, 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 it just, I feel like, why am I reading? This is not real. Like I want like a real, not that it's not a real story, but it's like, 
you know, Steve Trevor's, you know, he finally falls asleep, gets gets some sleep, and then he's he's having this memory flashback, and it's just, I don't know. The Vigil, so this is one of the, the new series that DC is doing, and this is, I'm, okay, you know, we'll, we'll see where this is going to go. You know, I wasn't super gung-ho about this, and part of it is, like, I don't need more titles to read because you know, there, there's enough as 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 it is. And I don't know how I feel about the the concept here, you know, where where this is going to go. But I mean, it's it's fascinating enough, you know. Whenever you have like clandestine like government groups and what's going on and superpowered and you know and espionage and betrayals and who, what is happening and deaths and so there's definitely a lot going on here that it's like okay maybe I'll, I'll check it out for a little bit at least. Then we have Flash seven ninety nine. <laughs> Wally and, and uh, Linda had another kid, which is, it feels like this is like the fastest pregnancy ever. And then Granny Goodness kidnaps the baby. So I don't know, is this just a random thing? Did she somehow detect that there's like potential metahuman abilities? Did she know it was Wally West's baby? You know, Wally's determined to get it, his kid back. And um, it's things don't go as smoothly as as he would have hoped. So I don't know if there's gonna be repercussions from that. Superman issue four. So we're dealing with you know the aftermath of all the parasite stuff. You know we're being attacked, and we know that there's these these other this other doctor scientist evil dude who is like an enemy of Lex Luthor that's um has his hand in in things. Lex isn't being completely honest with everything that, that's going on, but there, you know, this this guy I forgot what this 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 dude's name is. He's um, manipulating people because, uh, like, with, with Parasite, you know, he kind of amped him up and made him more powerful. So he basically was a silver banshee who I guess apparently was trying to lead like a normal life. And and it's a lot of like, you know, you're gonna do what I want or I'm gonna, you know, harm everyone you care about type of thing. See, I don't know, we, we have that. And you know, so Lex Luthor is still trying to convince Superman that he's on his side, that he wants to help him. So I'm 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 growing to this idea, you know, I'm I'm starting to enjoy just the whole thing between Lex and Superman where because you know, there's no way he can be you know, like what is he up to? There's no way he wants to be a, a good guy, but so it's like, what is his, what's his, his real plan? So we had cyborg number one. Um, we'll see where this is going to go. I mean, I don't know how I felt about, but this, one of the things that bothered me, cause you know, so cyborg goes back to Detroit and you know, he, he doesn't, he saves some people and there's like this angry woman. Like, I don't know if she's a YouTuber or something like that, but she's doing news reports and, and she's basically really critiquing cyborg because you know he was their hero and then he left and you know turned his back on them or what it's like what he he can't ever go somewhere else or the fact that you know he joined a different team and instead of saving the city he was saving the world oh but but he's a bad guy because you know he's looking at the bigger picture and and yeah you know there's something to be said about you know trying to help locally first but and then, and then just yeah, it's just it was, I just found that annoying. 
but that's because that's how some people really are. So it's like, I don't need that in my comics type of thing. And then there's some stuff going on with uh, like Victor's dad where something happened to him. And it's just like, wow, are you serious? Like, you're going to do this? Because it seems, so basically he finds out his dad died. And, you know, so then, you know, is he gonna, you know he's got the funeral and, and stuff like that. So, it, but the question is like, is there more to his, his dad's death or not? Or, you know, was it just a heart attack or... And then some stuff happens at the end, which is like, okay, I think maybe I'm a, I'm a little intrigued here, but I don't know. We'll see. And I, I think the other thing that the problem I'm kind of having is Victor, like, I mean, maybe it's just, I don't know if it's just a cover, but it almost looks like he got younger. And, you know, cause like you, even like when the first time we see him in like an issue, I don't know. It, it seems like they, they de-aged him just a tiny bit, but maybe it's, you know, it's just an art style. Catwoman 55. So Selena broke out of jail, which just seems weird. Cause it was like, you're constantly going to be on the, on a run. I don't know. And then just talking with a, what's the, not Yukio. What's this other lady's name who is filling in for Catwoman? And yeah, it's just, uh, wasn't super crazy about it. Uh, Batman Brave and a Bold, issue one. This series, there's, um, this is like a, like almost like a, like a 60 page, 60, 70 page comic. There's a, a story, Batman, the winning card by Tom King and Mitch Gerard. Mitch Drads, and this kind of goes back to like year one type of thing. So it's kind of interesting where where that goes. It's a a little weird because there there's like some Joker stuff that happens here, and Joker is he's it's like creep kind of creepy Joker here, and it's just like it, it makes you a little like okay what's happening. Um, Stormwatch down with the Kings. This is part one. Uh, the Batman one was part one. So this is by Ed Brisson and Jeff Spokes. So that was uh, that was okay. And then uh, we had Superman Order of the Black Lamp. This is by Christopher Cantwell and Javier Rodriguez. Now, I, I, I like that one. And then there's Heroes of Tomorrow, Story and Art by Dan Mora. It's So here's the thing. I'm trying to figure out, like, is Dan Mora like a robot? It, it, how, how can he? Do, he's been doing World's Finest for for so long. For I mean, or, what this week's issue fifteen? He did the Shazam comic like two weeks ago. He did this short story here, and I get that you know it's it's not like he did it all last month. You know, it's all spread out. But I think he he's leaving World's Finest, which is a bummer because. Him and Mark Wade in that book, I mean, it's it's like gold. But if he's going to be with Mark Wade and Shazam, okay, that that's fine. But yeah, it is, it's going to be weird to keep reading World's Finest. I mean, maybe World's Finest is going to end. I don't know. I mean, I I never keep track of this stuff. So Brave and the Bold was was okay. It was fine. It was interesting. Um, you know, there there's some some good quality stuff there. But these anthology books, I always question them because. You know, it's it's always it's it's there's some more unpredictability because you don't necessarily know what could possibly you know like what the next issue is going to hold. Uh, you know, is it going to be any good or not? And uh, all of a sudden, if like the next issue has a, the beginning of a story with some character that you absolutely just don't care about, 
So like, you know, this, this one had Stormwatch. What if you don't care about Stormwatch and you don't want anything to do with Stormwatch, but it's, it's part of the book if you want to read the other stuff. And then, so Batman, Superman, World's Finest, issue 15. This was, was good. It's just, you know, continuing the story. Yeah, so Batman, Superman are finding out, like, what's going on, who's manipulating things. Robin, I, I love just Robin, his, his whole presence here, because, you know, this is younger Robin, but he's still, you know, like, he, he, um, he's, he stands up against Metamorpho. And, you know, because uh, he... At one point, you know, Batman's gone, or he, he like took off, or something like that. He's like, "What's the matter, Bird Boy? Don't you care enough about your damn partner?" And he's like, "Don't you dare! Don't you ever question my loyalty to Batman or Superman? Do you hear me?" And so he's just like in his face yelling. So I, I just, you know, just love love that that scene right there. Then there's Batgirl's issue 18. So my question with this is like, how long is Cassandra going to be in here? Now that she's like in this dead world from that what was that series that came out last week? I forget what it was called. Like one of, one of the new books came out, but this, um, this is kind of weird because there, you know, there's a sniper, there's a shooter going out and basically they're saying that, you know, the Batgirls are to blame and, you know, unless the police put a stop to them, their actions, I'm going to keep killing people and stuff like that. So then they, they kind of make it look like that. Okay. Yeah. The, they're going to be told to stop type of thing. And then some people are protesting that, you know, we are all Batgirl type of thing, and the shooters can come out, and so things might get messy. Then at Marvel, we had new um, new series, Avengers number one. This is Jed McKay and CF Villa. We got a new, new team coming. Uh, Carol Danvers is going to be the chairperson. So that's cool. I mean, I, I love Carol. And since her series is ending, so that, that makes sense. So it's basically about her choosing her team. Spoiler, <laughs> you see him on the cover. So thankfully, I didn't like over, I actually didn't like look closely at the cover. It's just like, okay, new Avenger or Avenger. It's not new Avengers. It's a new Avenger series. But yeah, so we'll have to see. So it's basically this issue's Carol, like, hey, you want to join team type of thing. Yeah, we'll we'll see where where things are gonna go. Um, I, I I think I like it. There's just one one. Steve Rogers is not on the team, and that just seems a little weird to me. I you know, but whatever. You know, you can't have Steve Rogers everywhere and give some other people a chance to be on a team. Bloodline, uh, Daughter of Blade, issue four. So I think this is just a five issue series. So Blade's daughter's Blade's daughter's mother gets kidnapped and you know she's dealing with the fact that you know she's blade's daughter and you know, there's someone at school who's like a in, involved in this vampire world and you know she kind of knows the, the secret and stuff like that so there's some interesting things and as much as i'm not super crazy about blade i do like the how he's being responsible with his daughter and you know because her mother's missing and he's gonna, you know, try to take care of her, and you're gonna try to get to the bottom of this and figure out where she's at. And so there, there's some some fine things there. Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, issue twelve. Uh, Steve and Sam and um, Misty and Sharon Carter are trying to figure out like what is Bucky up to because uh, Steve's son Ian from Dimension Z has been kidnapped. So you know, Cap's like 
pissed and he wants to get him back. And but the whole thing was like Bucky, you know, he's working for this this organization. I don't think we can call him a terrorist organization. I don't know, but you know, they're they're claiming they're behind the scenes. They've been doing stuff forever, and so he's like playing a game where we have to believe that he's really doing the good thing, but he's like putting himself in the the enemy's situation and make you know trying to convince them that he's working on with them and because of that you know again it's like that that slight unease feeling that's just like but you know you got to do what you got to do fantastic four issue seven so i i enjoyed this this book uh the team finally makes it to ben's aunt petunia's place and there, there's some stuff going on at the house and then because uh, they they realize they're, they're they're having some issues where like at breakfast, Reed forgets a word. Like he, he couldn't think of the, what the word was to say. And then later they realize, like, wait, I only, I can only think of twenty-five letters in the alphabet. And and Johnny's like singing the ABC song, and you know he just he skips. I think he skipped the Y or something like that. But he didn't like didn't even realize. And then they start losing more and more. And then um, someone shows up to like who is responsible. So it's 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 good stuff here. Oh, and then also, um, like, the government or whoever is not happy with Sue because in order to save the world and the dimensions, uh, they had to cause an eclipse for three days. So the fact that Sue had the ability to do this, you know, there's some concern over that. Hulk Annual 1. Um, I just, I didn't really give this a fair chance. Uh, the interesting thing is it's kind of like a, like a found footage type thing where there's this group, you know, they're trying to do like a documentary documentary on the Hulk. So we see like, you know, there are different scenes, different footage, you know, whatever. But I don't know, something, it didn't quite click with me for some reason. I maybe nothing did. Because definitely this next one, Miles Morales, Spider-Man 22. I actually, ugh, I read, um, I don't even remember what it was, if it was a carnage or, I read something else, the, the first part of this. And my goodness, I cannot stand carnage. Uh, so now Cletus Cassidy can like possess people and kind of like make clones of himself or something like that. I don't know if he's just possessing them and then Symbiote oozes in and makes like a makes it look like it's him. But it's like you're you're killing people because you know you're taking them over, you're using them, and. Uh, I don't know. Who, who thinks Carnage is a good idea? I mean, he's such a despicable character. Planet E Apes, issue two. I think it's we're in 2016. So, you know, the, the virus that's affecting humans is taking place, and the government wants to, like, kind of investigate the monkey, the apes, and how they're surviving and stuff like that. But there's a, a, a couple, like a group of, you know, a couple scientists that realize how they're actually learning and, you know, they could be doing good things. And so, yeah, there's there's basically some conflict, some tension. But I'm, I'm not 100% sold on this series. And again, I don't know if I'm just being so super skeptical about everything, but it's fine. It's just, I don't know, something about it, it's just... The same thing with like like Predator. You know, there's a Predator comic that came out. It's like I can't read that because for me, I think it's like the art and color just it just doesn't work. I don't. And the, what I read before was okay, but it just felt like something was missing. So yeah, so there's Predator number three. There's Red Goblin, 
number three, number four, almost at 34. I definitely didn't read that. So part of me is kind of curious, but I just got to put my foot down. I, I can't, I can't read it. She-Hulk issue 13. Um, this issue felt like it went by fast. Some stuff happened, but like it almost feels like not a, not a lot happened. So She-Hulk's been fighting this dude. He's he's trying to be like this charming. He's a charming thief. You're supposed to. Be, I guess he's good looking, super strong. He's like you know going toe to toe against She-Hulk, and because you know he stole something that the Fantastic Four were kind of like you know they had, and so she's mad that he got away and she keeps running into him. So he thinks that they're just like flirting and stuff like that. But she's kind of dating Jack of Hearts, even though Jack of Hearts is so incredibly amped up with like all his radiation that they can't even like touch because otherwise he'll like suck off her um <laughs> he'll suck up her her gamma radiation and uh so there's like some weird stuff going on on there and then there's also stuff at work at the law firm where Mallory Book she's finally like fine you know will will represent super powered clients but then there's like so many people that because no one else wants to want to deal with them. So it's like they're the only attorneys in town. But she hooks like, dude, you keep you're booking me like so many people. It's like I can't do all this. And but then it's just like, yeah, it just there there wasn't a whole lot because then it, it ends with like Jen and Jack like having dinner. But so I don't know if if part of it is like, oh, she's starting to like this this charming thief dude. But then Jack is Jack's. I don't know. He's kind of moping around. You know, he was taking some college classes, but then he decided, you know, online, of course, I'm assuming, but then he decided that to give that up. And he's just basically going around sucking up radiation. He's like, there's a lot of radiation out there. And, you know, he's just trying to help things and places. So I don't know. Um, there's this more Spider-Man 2099. I just, I haven't been reading that. And then there was... <laughs> Star Wars Bounty Hunter, I can't, uh, this balance guy, nope, I'm not going to read it. Venom, not reading it. X-Force issue 40. So we're dealing um, kind of aftermaths of, of the Beast stuff. But then we had old man Quentin Choir show up from like the future. And there's like some crazy stuff going on. So he gets the team to go with him. And then there's more Beast stuff, like Beast God, who's it's just like, no, no more. And... So things just kind of get get pretty crazy there, and then X Men twenty two. I almost said almost said twenty twenty two. That's why I was like, wait, there's a uh, stuff going on with uh, the sort of drug that comes out of Krakoa, where this group. So it's like Modok, Doctor. I forget who this is. Doctor Stasis. Wait, so it's like who's Doctor Stasis? Because it looks is it like is Doctor Stasis like a Mister Sinister clone and Nimrod? It's it's, it's like because they're they're flying around uh, and it's almost like a, a fantastic car. Like it's like a boxy flying thing with their, with their what you call it Orcus logo. But so they kind of manipulated the drug where they they can they can they you, they have like a back door and they can kind of like control people with it so that that's gonna be a problem. But then there's some cool stuff with like the the team in action and um, Firestar actually does you know steps up so that that was was cool to see like her getting some time in the spotlight and some respect basically. So we have that. Um, other than that, that was, um, 
I guess that's it for comics. So not there was not a whole. It's, it's always so weird because week after week, it's like it's never consistent. Like sometimes there's be like a ton of Marvel, and other times there's not. And I don't know. It, it would just be nice if they just. I I I hate to say it. I it's it's great when there's a small week, but it's like it would be better if you just spread it out evenly or try to. But that's gonna be comics for the week. All right, with Citadel season one episode four, tell her everything. And there's stuff being hinted in this episode that I kind of mentioned before. I don't believe it. I, I think it's, it's just, it's all a red herring. You just dismissed. You know, so we'll, when we get to it, you'll know what I'm talking about. So it starts off in Morocco and Manticore, Black site, Nadia. And um, at first I'm like, okay, is this in a, <laughs> this is a weird little, usually it tells us if it's a, like 10 years ago or something like that. So it's, I, I'm like, is this Kyle? Is this, you know, in the present where it's not Mason because he doesn't have his memories? They enter and he makes a comment. He's like, we're about to kill a bunch of people. So with that, it's like, okay, this must be Kyle, right? But then she's like, not your first time, love. And then the fact that she called him love, but then again, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I, again, I think I'm reading, it's in the present. There's lots of guards. Nadia is, is doing a lot of like hand-to-hand because first she's, she's like, cover me. And then she she's, jumps over. She's like doing hand-to-hand combat. She's got a knife. I couldn't really, you can't really see what's going on. But it almost looks like she like jabs, you know, stabs him in the leg and then just whoosh, like just yanks up on it, like just slicing the leg. And and the, the dude's like in pain, but, you know, kind of still, still going, maybe adrenaline or something like that. And then, you know, there's another part with the knife where the knife gets kind of kicked up, you know, it's or flipped up in the air. And then she like kicks it and goes flying and it's jab someone and, and at one point Kyle runs out of bullets and you know he's like ducking and shooting he doesn't know what to do whatever and then she's like or I'll cover you whatever because you know she like then she tosses him like a mag you know gun magazine whatever uh so then they they enter uh cell and you see Carter Carter Spence he's like cowering in a corner and Kyle's like we're gonna get get you out of here and he's like stay back he's like you did this and Kyle's like what I do so then it goes back. So it's like, okay, there's something going on with Kyle. Because, you know, we don't know Kyle's, his whole story because he doesn't have his memories. So it goes back. Paris 10 years ago, or 10 years earlier, Nadia and Mason are in a hotel room. You know, they're talking about how much fun Paris is because, you know, they, they got to do their mission. They get to do some hanky-panky. And uh, he's like, says something about that. But then she, like, points out that it's not like you know, he's not the first guy she's been to Paris with. So then he's like, well, you know, what about last night or something or whatever like that? She's like, oh, it's up there. She's like top five, you know, you know, best moments or best favorite times or something like that. Then he's like, well, were the other four spies? And she's like, come on, Kane. She's like, I don't kiss and tell. Then he's like, they last long. And she's like, they never do. Then Kyle's or Mason's like, you ever been in love? And she's like, what kind of question is that? He's like an honest one. And she's like, no. Then he's like, do I scare you? And she's like, now, why would you scare me? He's like, because I'm starting to see you. And she's like, oh, are you? He's like, see past the mask. And she's like, mask? And she's like, he's like, yeah, there's dozens. And she's like, well, why would that scare me? He's like, I don't know yet. So, you know, he, what, what exactly is he talking about? So then um, she's like, I'm bringing in a new tier one to the team. You know, Grace approved this morning. He's like, you spoke to Grace this morning? Because, you know, they were just in bed or whatever like that. She's like, you know I have other missions besides ours, right? He's like, well, where was I? She's like, I don't know. Eating baguettes, falling in love. He's like, hmm. And she, then Nadi's like, she's brilliant. And he's like, uh, plus, you know, we, we need her. She worked for me 
uh, on Bravo team. He's like, is this like a make a wish thing? She's like, I trust her with my life. She saved it once. It's like her name is Celeste, Celeste Graham. And he's like, and you're going to love her. Mason's like, well, if she's a friend of yours, I'm sure I'll hate her. They like laugh and then start smooching. So at Citadel headquarters, Mason walks in to meet Celeste or like they're in that conference room in the middle, whatever. Nadia introduces him and he's like, she told me you saved her life. And she's like, yeah, I did or whatever. And then he's like, she told me I was going to love you. And then Celeste is like, you won't. So now it cuts to, you know, a little bit later, mission day 01. So I'm not really sure like how exactly how long she's been there after that. So Nadia's saying, she's like, she can handle it. And Mason's like, she can't. And Celeste is like, like she's right here because they're, they're talking about Celeste like she wasn't there. Mason says that her tier one clearance, you know, like went into effect, like what, 36 hours ago? So he, there might be some exaggeration or maybe it really was 36 hours. And then he's like, Anders and Davik run a brutal criminal empire. And Celeste's like, I know who they are. And Mason's like, I don't think you do. She's like, the Silje brothers out of Amsterdam, they rule the cities under Billy. Uh, underbelly you know drug running arms dealing prostitution rings and mason's like they've started to expand davik is the muscle anders is the brain he's far more dangerous you know he's a, a cambridge grad who's been developing war technology and selling it to the highest bidder nadia says that they've acquired a partial schematic on anders latest creation of course because that's how the spy world works i guess and she's like, you know, he likes to call it the Ozki. Mason's like, if he completes it, the Ozki would be able to hack an entire nation's infrastructure, transit, emergency services, arm, weapons. Uh, they could take on the whole. They could take a whole country hostage. Nadia's like, don't say it's impossible. He wants you to say it's impossible. Then Celeste's like, it's impossible. <laughs> she's like, the computational power alone would require require a server farm the size of New Hampshire. Not to mention the fact that. The source data, which, if I understand you correctly, is basically everything that would entail thousands of extra or exabytes of data. So I guess you could take over Massachusetts while you're you're at it, you know, to house all those ones and zeros. So unless Amsterdam has got, gotten a whole lot bigger than I remember, your boy Anders has a long way to go before he gets his ASCII. And Mason's like, she's smart. And now he's like smarter than you. And he's like, but she's wrong. And Celeste is like, I'm not wrong. He's like, you are, but you were convincing and and then uh, Nadia's like, which is what makes her perfect. Plus, she has a twin brother, it's just like Anders. And Mason's like, there's another one of you out there. And she says, David. And he's like, are you close? She's like, hate him with a passion. He's like, hmm. So you're close. And then she's like, inseparable. Nadia says that you know she's right. Says that you know she's never she never says she is, but she's always right. You know, it's not Nadia saying that you know she, herself is right. And Celeste is like, I've been undercover before with the Oath Keepers. And Mason's like, I don't know who the Oath Keepers are, but Mason's like, for how long? And she's like, three weeks. And then he's like, what did Nadia teach you or over in Bravo about going undercover? And Celeste is like, she ta taught me that the key to being undercover is learning how to maintain a lie. He's like, hmm, Nadia thinks a great spy has to be a great liar. And she's like, they do. He's like, no. A great spy needs to tell the truth, but first you have to disappear. So then it cuts to mission day zero three. Celeste is like dyeing her hair. You know, she thinks back to him saying, you need to look in a mirror and see an entirely different person looking back. And she's like looking in a mirror. Then it's Amsterdam. So, you know, there's like some voiceover. Mason told her to find Anders at the Ironside bar. It's one of the laundering fronts that he runs with his brother. So she goes to the bar. She's a blonde. She sees Anders with like some calculations written on a napkin. And she's like, we got an engineer over here. You must be a madman. I'm definitely staying away from you. 
So she like takes a napkin and looks. He like laughs. He introduces himself. She says her name is Brielle, which is what uh, Bernard said to him when you know that he he was in love with her or something like that. So more of a Mason flashback memory voiceover, whatever he said, you know, not to worry about making him fall in love with her, with her. She needs to fall in love with him, find things to love about him. So it'll feel real. So then there's scenes of him smooching, laying in bed. He's like smoking. I don't know if they're both smoking something. Then Mason's like, you can't lie when you're undercover. Men like Anders and Davik will smell it from across the room. And if they do, they'll bury you alive. The only way they're going to believe your lie is if you do. Everything you tell them has to become your truth. You have to lie to yourself. Your mission is to gather all intel on the Oz key. Do whatever it takes. Get as close as you can. So then there's a scene where she's like strumming on a guitar while he's writing in his little like notebook. And he's like, he's like, oh, you're writing a new song? She's like, I'm trying. What are you writing? He says that he's like, you see me writing and rewriting code for that thing. It's like the, and you can see the blueprints on a computer screen. She's like, what is it? He's like, depends on who you ask. She's like, well, what do you want it to be? And he's like, well, I just want you. And she's like, you already have me. And Mason said, he's like, the hardest part is going to be remembering why you're there, that it's not actually your life. He's like, I will keep you tethered. Every week you will check in with me. Call me. I will remind you what is real, what is true. So then in London, Mason and, and Nadia are in a room after it's like some fancy, fancy gathering. You know, he's like in a suit or tux. She's like in this like fancy green dress. So now after whatever, they got some information, they know who the brothers are working with. Nadia says that she supposes that they have the brothers to thank for all this quality time together. And he's like, well, who do I have to thank for this dress? <laughs> or something like that. Then later um, he tries calling Celeste. You see him like, and there's like no answer. So then it cuts to mission day 132. 132. Mason says that Celeste is an overhead. She's been dark for three months for, and there's been no check-ins, no clickbacks to any of his flares. Nadia says that he knows what it's like on the inside. You know, there could be infinite number of reasons why she didn't check in. Mason says if it was Nadia in there, he'd be willing to see how it played out. She says that Celeste is just as capable as she is. Mason says that that's what he's worried about. Carter picked up some anomalies. Um, he's like, it could be nothing, could be everything. He's like, I've been digging deeper into her life. Her twin brother, David, he's got a serious gambling problem, six-figure serious. He's holed up somewhere because some very dangerous people are after him. They both know that you know, people do stupid things when the ones that they love are, are on the line. He's like, she can sell the Oski for a lot of money. He's like, there's chatter on the wire that Davik's looking for a buyer. So it's safe to assume that the Oski is close to, if not, fully operational. So he says that he knows that she's her friend, but when there's that much power, it's hard to keep it checked in or something like that. He's like, I'm sending in an ops team. So then we see Celeste or Brielle, she's like staring in a the mirror. Then um, she goes to the lab, like work area. She goes to the computer and we see Davik is spying on her. So he sees her grab the Oz key. And the only way I know is by the closed caption because they're twins. So he sees her like grab the Oz key and replace it with a fake. Then she puts it, she goes in the bathroom and it's like, it's, it's since they're in Amsterdam, whatever, but it's like with those old timey bathrooms where like the, the back of the toilet is like almost like up, up above your head. So she puts it like her bag up there and Davik's like, odd place to store your purse. And then bam, punches her in the face, slams her against the wall. He's like, Anders is going to miss you terribly. And she tries like fighting back and stuff like that. And meanwhile, at the same time, because they're up a few floors, the, the ops team is like breaking in. So, and then they're like fighting and everything like that. She's, and then she manages to grab the top of like the toilet lid and like slams him over the head with it. 
So Carter tells Mason that he got an update from the ops team. Shots were exchanged, and they've got casualties. And uh, Mason's like, how many? And Spencer's like, enough. He's like, Celeste, she's alive, uh, beat up, but alive. He's like, we captured Anders, but Davik disappeared. And Mason's like, the Ozki? So, so there's pause, and he's like, ops chief said they couldn't find it. And he's like, fudge. And, like, and then he's, his phone buzzes. He gets a, a text like, confidential. She took the case. And then he types, don't say a word about this, ever. So it's like, okay, what's going on? She took the case. They're um, brought into the headquarters by helicopter. You know, Davik is, is brought in, which it seems like crazy that you would bring him there. Um, but maybe his, he was blindfolded, bag over, so who knows. Grace asks, you know, who's on point? So Mason is, he's in charge of this. So she says that Davik's gone, and she's like, and, you know, where the hell is the Ozki? So he, he says that they'll get under it, and she's like, clean this up. Then Nadia says that she wants in on the box, you know, to interrogate, to interrogate Celeste. And he's like, no, you're too close. And she's like, I'm not asking her permission. He's like, no. He's like, you are too close. So Mason enters a room, and he's like, begin recording. So Celeste is like, and this is a, this part really bothers me. It's like, okay, so she's been an undercover for 130-something days. She just got clearance. And, you know, he's in charge of this mission. The way she talks to him is just, it's like, okay, there's chain of commands or whatever. You know, he, maybe he's another spy. He's in charge of this. He has seniority. But, so she's like, this is BS. And he's like, name and classification. And she's like, none of that fudging matters anymore, Mason. And then uh, the system, he's like, system identify. So she, the computer's like, identify, blah, 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 and it says her name. Nadia and Grace are watching from another room behind, you know, like a, a one-way mirror or whatever. So Mason's like, where's the Ozki? And she's like, are you fudging kidding me? And then Nadia, I don't know if she says over his con, but she's like, easy, Mason. So Celeste is like, you shouldn't be in here wasting your time with me. You should be out there mobilizing, hunting, you know, hunting Davik. And then she like slams her chairs, you know, she's in restraints. So then Mason's like, remove restraints. So then the cuffs like undo like from the chair. She's like, is that supposed to be a gesture to make me feel grateful? And then Carter comes in and asks, you know, what did she do with the ASCII? And she says that it was in her, her go bag. And Mason's like, your go bag was empty. Ops cleaned the site. All they found was this. And he tosses the key down. It's a fake. He's like, what happened in there? And then she's like, is she in there? And then she's like, Nadia, are you in there? And then she gets up and goes to the mirror. She's like, you think I took it? He's like, you going to hide behind a mirror? And he's like, sit down, Celeste. And Celeste is like, after everything. And she like slams her fist against the mirror. You think I'd do that? She's like, fudge you. And she pounds the glass. She's like, do you hear me, Nadia? You never should have brought me on. So it's like, she seems a little unhinged here. It's like, this is, again, not appropriate. Later, she's like sitting. And he's, Mason's like, in the last three months, you've missed every one of your live drops. And she's like, you're the one who broke pro- protocol, Mason. Sent an ops team before I was ready. Um, it's like, hello, what? He's like, you didn't give me a choice, did you? We went, or you went dark for weeks. We didn't know if you were dead. And he's like, where's Davik? And she's like, I secured him in the basement. Mason's like, he wasn't there. That's where I left him. And again, way too much attitude. And Mason's like, people and things around disappear you know, you disappear around you left and right. And she's like, go to hell. It's like, again, you can't say that. Then he's like, okay, let's talk about David. What does my brother have to do with any of this? Mason's like, at eight years old, he stepped in front of your stepdad swinging a hot iron at you. He took all the beatings so you didn't have to, and it fudged him up. She's like, where's this going? 
Mason's like, I understand the guilt you must have felt. He sacrificed so much to protect you. Then after all your stepdad did to him, you couldn't fix him. But you sell to Oski and you can save his life. Paid a bounty on his head. He's like, fetch you, Mason. And then he pulls up like a surveillance on a building. He's like, do you recognize it? He's, and then he's like, zoom in on unit 8C. And then, you know, you see someone in an apartment. She's like, Mason, my brother has nothing to do with this. And Mason's like, but he has everything to do with you. You call him once a week. You send him $800 a month. Even when you were at the incubator making nothing, you paid him out of your savings. Your brother seems like a, a fudge up to me. And she's like, shut up. And he's like, tech unit, arm system. So then it's like, I guess her brother's being targeted. And she's like, stop. Mason's like, tell me where the Ozki is. She's like, I don't know. I really don't fudging know. He, he's like, you said you and your brother were close. And he's like, tech unit, acquire target. A target acquired. You sold it for him, didn't you? Admit it. Who's your buyer? She's like, nobody. She's like, last chance. Tech unit, exit. And Nadia says, enough. So she like walked in and called us off. In a conference room, Nadia's like, what the fudge was that? What were you doing, Mason? And he's like, I wasn't actually going to take him out. And she's like, well, it so you sounded pretty convincing. And he kicks a chair. He's like, you can't stop an interrogation. And she's like, that wasn't an interrogation. That was an assault on one of our own. Celeste didn't take the Oz key. And she said that she hid it in her go bag. You know, Davik had to have found a bag and taken it. He's like, when? When he was tied up in the basement or when he fled out the back? He's like, you asked Celeste? He's like, you ask Ops? You get two different fudging stories. She's like, I've known her for five years, Mason. Ooh, five years. Watch out. It's like, she didn't take it. And now Davik knows that she was undercover. She's a liability to him. And he's going to come after her. Grace is like, she's right. And you know, she's just standing there the whole time. Nadia says that they have to get her out. Carter says that her best option is to relocate her to an unaffiliated safe house. He's like, I can reach out to some MI6 contacts. Then Grace gets a buzz. He's on her, on her phone. He's like, Anders is awake. He's like, you should interview him. Nadia's like, I'll do it. And then Mason says to Grace, he's like, do not tell me you believe Celeste. And Carter's like, Nadia does. And he's like, she saved Nadia's life. Of course she does. You know, Celeste had, had the Ozki. She went dark for three months. Then it disappears. I mean, come on. She's working. All of us, Citadel, Anders, and Davik, anyone she needs to make a buck for herself so she can pay off her brother's debt and save his life. Grace is like, and now we open an inquiry with command. Mason's like, we backstop her. And then Carter starts to object. Grace says, we can't erase her memories. And he's like, she's tier one, Grace. She knows everything about Citadel. You're going to let her out in a world with that information? She'll sell us out to the highest bidder. We have to wipe her clean. Then Carter's like, command hasn't even approved backstop safety procedure yet. It's too new. And Grace is like, I should have you sanctioned for even suggesting something like that. And Mason's like, you want to be known as a director who let a mole take down the agency? She's like, I can't authorize backstop. And Mason's like, you don't have to. We do it off-site. No one needs to know. Not Nadia, not Command, no one. I'll take care of it. He's like, look, if what she says turns out to be true, we bring her back. Reactivate her memories like nothing happened. And what if she did it? Then she stays backstop, goes to prison, but Citadel's secrets are safe. Grace thinks for a bit, and she's like, well, what are we going to tell her? So she's standing in a room. Then Carter and Mason come in, and he says that, they need her to put like this some device on. And she's like, what is it? He says it deactivates her, her arc chip and the rest of her Citadel credentials or creds or something like that. And she's like, well, 
why would I want that? He's like, we're getting you out of here. Mason says this. He's like, we're getting you out of here. Davik knows who you are. He's going to come after you and your brother. Grace is there too. Then she's like, we're going to relocate you to a safe house. There'll be time to talk later. And for now, Celeste is like, you don't think he'll be able to sniff out a safe house? You're able to find my brother. They have a whole like spy organization, whatever. She's like, think how easy it would be for him to do the same and then Mason's like, well, then what do you suggest? She's like, I don't know, Mason. You're real quick to remind everyone that this is your op. Well, your op just turned into a cluster fudge, thanks to her. <laughs> and she drops like the wrist device thing on the table. Again, so much attitude. She's like, why don't you figure it out? And then he's like, pause. There is another option. It's a new program soon to be rolled out, meant for tier one operators in worst case scenarios. If for whatever reason, they have to disappear. You'll be taken to a facility in Mexico City. You'll be sedated. While you're under, they'll perform a pair of painless procedures to reshape your cornea and the ridges of your fingerprints to help you hide. You won't be Celeste Graham anymore. You'll be someone else, someone that Davik can never find. She's like, so it's witness relocation? He's like, that's right, for you and your brother. And when the dust settles, I can just go get, my, get back to my life? And Mason nods. He's like, it's the best way to protect you. She thinks, and then she's like, let's do it. And then he's like, keep her hidden until we can evac. So Carter and Celeste leave. Then Mason says to Grace, he's like, we can't tell Nadia the truth. So later, Grace is in the conference room. Nadia walks in. She's like, is it done? Is it? Is she re resettled? And Grace says that she made the call herself. She's on her way to a safe house. And Nadia's like, thank you for everything. And she's like, don't thank me yet. We need to find the Oski. And Nadia's like, yeah, we're on it. Carter updates Mason. No sign of Davik yet. They're still looking. Mason is looking up places for Celeste. And he shows Carter this house. That, that It's a house that they end up living in when they're married. He says that it's in Oregon. It's a small town. His grandmother lived there. And then Carter's like, well, what happens if Command catches wind that he, he back-channeled an unsanctioned backstop procedure? Mason's like, I'd have to go on a run, I guess. Maybe I'd settle down for the simple life. And Carter's like, yeah, I'd pay to see that. Mason's like, after a day like today, that house, that porch, cool summer breeze. And Carter says, he's like, you wouldn't last five minutes. He lasted eight years. Then we see, he, he talks to Bernard. Bernard says he's calling in a favor of someone named um, Anna Mejia is an old friend. She created something very special with Backstop. And Mason's like, we need to destroy Celeste Bile erase her memories permanently and he's like mason are you sure celeste is a mole he's like i know it and bernard's like you have to be certain because one time i wasn't and i think about it every day and mason's like i am certain and bernard's like if you do this there's no going back and mason's like that's the point bernard's like i'm not talking about her i'm talking about you he's like put in the order and bernard's like listen and he's like put in the order Bernard's like, listen to me. He's like, if you're wrong about her, this is not something that you can come back from. You can't. A spy can have 100 names, 100 faces, 100 identities, but you only get one soul. And Mason's like, we have to protect Citadel at all costs. You told me that. And Bernard's like, mm-hmm, but who's going to protect you? And Mason's like, don't worry about me. So at Citadel backstop facility in Mexico City, Grace is wheeled in. Then she's on the table. She's gassed. And then uh, Nadia's like, Carter told me Celeste has been relocated to Oregon. Thanks for having her back, Mason, and mine. Smooch. And then they like go their separate ways in the hallway. Then Mason and Carter are, are sitting talking. I think Spencer asks if there's any news on Oski, and Mason's like, nothing. 
uh, uh, Spencer Carter, Spence, he's like, Davik didn't take it. He's like, and you don't think Celeste was the one who took it either? And Mason's like, excuse me? He's So Carter's like, I'm the only one with access to all of Citadel's encrypted communication. That's my job. You know that, right? I have known you for a decade. I know your behavior patterns and how you think. You acted very out of character today. And he's like, we were in crisis mode. And Carter's like, right. He's like, I didn't think to at first, but I scrubbed our servers. And I found a cloaked order was given to the chief of the ops team by a tier one agent in secret. And it it's, it's against protocol. That tier one ordered the chief to grab the Ozki and deliver to them in their return. And I know you know who that agent was. And he's like, stop there, Carter. And then but Carter's like, Nadia gave the cloaked order. And Mason like closes his eyes. Carter's like, you said that you backstopped Celeste so she couldn't give up any Citadel secrets, but I think you did that to stop us from finding out that she didn't. She didn't have any. She was clean. You needed to keep suspicion on Celeste to have her take the fall, so you backstopped her, erased her memories, not because she was a threat to Citadel, but because she would be a threat to Nadia, because you are protecting Nadia, because even though you love her, you think Nadia might be a mole. And Mason looks at Carter. He's like, don't you ever say those words again. <laughs> or what? We're like, what are you going to do? Back in the present, Carter's in the corner of his cell. He's like, you, you did this. And Mason's like, what did I do? And he's like, not you, her. And then Mason like looks at Nadia. And Nadia's just like staring at Carter, like not denying anything. just like not saying anything. And then it's credits. But the weirdest thing, it's like maybe like five seconds of credits. So it's like, bam, like super quick. And then um, I don't know if this is supposed to be scenes from next or something like that. But then Carter's like, you can't trust her. And then he's like, why not? Nadia? Or so, it's like it's such a weird, weird little clip. So that's the end of the episode. Um, so, OK, what, what do we, we, we get from this? They're, they're trying to make us think that Nadia is the mole. You know, there's this message that Nadia said, okay, get the Oz key, bring it back to me, but basically say that no one has seen it. Which, you know, makes sense because there's no way that Davik could have grabbed it. But I I kind of jokingly suspected this. And this could be something, you know, you want to do something, you know, really risky. You know, you got your two main characters. One of your characters is a major, you know, is a threat. I just don't think that that's, that's the situation. I think that they're really making us think that because like now it's obvious before when I suspected that again, I'm kind of just reach. I was grabbing for straws. You know, I was like, okay, what if it was this, that would be crazy, you know, cause they would never do that. But now it looks like they're doing that. I don't think that they're doing that. I, I think again, it's just, just to keep us like, what are they really doing that? Holy cow. I can't believe that. So I don't know. Cause you know, then it looked like, you know, Mason's, you know, going off the rails, but, you know, and again, could he be trusted? Because he doesn't have his memories. We don't know what what he is really doing. But yeah, so it's it's just weird, and and just the fact that how did did Celeste and Mason end up together? Is that just a huge coincidence, or were they pushed there? Because you know, she lost her memories obviously before the fall of Citadel. Was her vial destroyed? Is there any way of getting her memories back? She would be pissed off. If she finds out that, you know, she lost her whole life because of Mason. I don't know, man. This, this Things are just getting pretty crazy here. So that was Citadel. All right. Then with The Flash, Season 9, Episode 12, A New World. 
Is it New World? New World. I, I don't know. I keep. Free. I think it's just a New World. New World Part Three. I, I keep wanting to say New World Order. So we're down. This what the penultimate episode, and I'm not. I'm not sure how I'm feeling about this. Let's just get into it. So it starts off like blue flowers. We see like the flashbacks of the the, the lightning accident in the lab. Eddie like, digging in the grave, pulling the bullet out of his chest, telling that captain that he got shot with the bullet. And then, then she's like, it picks up from there. She's like, Eddie, I believe you. She's like, this city is like a lightning rod for like the unexpected or something like that. She's like, but you know, you could be a robot or a clone or a cyborg. We need to get you, get you to a hospital and get you checked out. <laughs> it's just funny that it's just like, so matter of fact, like, yeah, you could be one of these. And he's like, no, he's like, I need to get to the flash. And she's like, well, if you're really Eddie, you're a detective and you know, we have to like investigate all the angles or something like that. And he's like, if He's like, I am Eddie Thon. He's like, I'm alive, and I need to know why. And he's he's like yelling suddenly. It's like, wait, it's, it's suddenly is there a storm coming? Why is he like suddenly yelling? And as he's yelling, a blue portal like opens up to the sky, and it sucks her up, and she's gone. <laughs> and then it's like a new world. What a part three changes. <laughs> so we see Chester. Uh, He's complaining about the, the negative speed forces attacking them across space and time. Keon uh, updates Cecile Allegra's at the hospital with Iris. They told her that they'll find Barry before the baby is born, which you, you can't make that promise. You don't know. Then then Cecile gets like this big pain, you know, just a huge wave of terror. And Speed Force Nora appears, and she's like barely standing. And she's like the negative Speed Force cloaked Barry with its own dark energy, so she can't, you know, she's not really sure where it's at. And so that this cobalt energy is causing Barry to bounce across time. And she briefly sensed him through the radiation, but she's not sure how long it'll take to get for him to get there. But he he seems to be headed to twenty forty nine. Uh, and and the crystal is going with them so it'll choose another victim and attack barry and then she like bends over in pain and she's like flickering in and out and she's like i can't help him anymore she's like only you can and she's like if barry dies and the speed force is extinguished then this timeline and everything in it will be erased and then she's gone so it's like why why is the speed force like so immensely important to the the whole you know fate comp or whatever of the the timeline or anything I don't know. Then it, it goes to 2049, and uh, Chuck is like, hey, party people, we just defeated whatever, or something like that. And it's like, okay, so we're talking 26 years later or something like that. He's still calling, he's still using the phrase party people. So Nora and Barry's Nora, young Nora, uh, Nora Allegra and Cecile, they zip in, and Cecile has a mask on. Nor, I think this was Nora's first mission or something like that. And Cecile says that, you know, she knows, she's like, I know your dad's in outer space, but I can feel how proud he is from the watchtower. So that just seems like an excuse not to have the Barry Grant Gustin that much in this episode. The other is, it's weird. They don't really look that much older considering that it's 26 years. I mean, I guess there's, I mean, like Allegra's hair is different. It looks a little more adult. Uh, but it's like they're, they're they don't look that much older. I mean, I guess maybe Cecile looks a tiny bit. We see Iris later, and she looks older, and you know she's got more gray. But it's like I don't know. I don't really maybe because I'm I'm not paying that much attention to like what Chuck and Allegra look. But they don't look that much older, which just seems kind of it just bothered me a little bit. But I'm sure they did something. If we put them side by side, I just didn't notice it. 
And Chuck compliments Allegra, like, oh, it's so cool how you went, like, supernova at the end there, blah, blah, blah. And then they, like, smooch. And Cecile's like, oh, it's so cute how after being married all these years, you still have that spark. So they drop that little knowledge thing, which, I mean, did we know that they were married? We know they were together, but so they've been married for years. Then Cecile asks, when will the, the, you know, she's like, speaking of sparks, when will the nano welding in my new super suit be ready? And Chuck's like, oh, probably this afternoon. Then there's this alert. Just there's something going on at the Flash Museum. So Allegra says that, um, she's like, she says to Chuck, she's like, I told you it was a bad idea to put the museum above our, our secret headquarters. And he's like, no, no, it's genius because, you know, who would attack the museum? And then we see Eddie Thon, like, walking in. And he tells his guard, he's like, this might sound weird, but I'm, I'm looking for the Flash. And the guard's just like, oh, he's right there. And he points to a mannequin, which is like, that doesn't help at all. And uh, then, you know, he's just looking around. There's just like this, on a, a TV, there's like a video about reverse Flash and how Flash fought him time and time again, whatever. And then Eddie starts loudly talking. He's like, that can't be right. He's like, I killed him. He's like, I died a hero. And then this girl calls all to him. And he's like, who are you? And I'm, I'm trying to say, he's like, wait, who is who is that? What and she's like, I'm your daughter. He's like, I don't have a daughter. It's actually Nora and this like short blonde hair, like like super short blonde. And so she's like, I'm your daughter. He, and he's like, I don't have a daughter. She's like, but you always wanted to have one. Now you can. And then a portal opens up behind her and she like reaches out and she's like, all I have to do is come with me. Uh, and then he's just like, mm -hmm. he's thinking about it. Chuck says that the energy signature detected just went through the roof. So Nora's like, well, I'll go check it out. Eddie starts to reach out to this blonde girl, Nora, but then regular Nora grabs him away, you know, using speed before they can touch. And she's like, sir, are you okay? He's like, what just happened? And then she's like, oh my God, Eddie, Eddie Thon? So they, they bring him down to the med lab. The computer confirms that it, it, it's his, you know, it confirms his identity. From the other room, they're like looking at him. And Legra's like, this is insane. It's like, Eddie Thon died 34 years ago. But it's like, um, have you not been around? Have you not seen crazier things in, in you know, 20, 30 years, whatever? So she wonders, you know, why hasn't he aged a day? <laughs> and it's like, look who's talking. <laughs> he haven't aged that much. Cecile asks, he's like, why is he here? And Chuck says that the fingerprints and DNA match, but he's giving off a high level of hawking radiation, which is a kind that you find in, inside a singularity. Allegra's like, so maybe Eddie is causing the portals to open? And Cecile's like, maybe it's subconscious. Maybe his emotions trigger them because, you know, of course they know everything. Chuck thinks that, you know, he could probably make a cuff that will destabilize the energy around him. So probably like, you know, like an uh, inhibitor cuff or something like that. Nora then just goes to talk to him and he grumbles about, he's like, oh, do you need me to pee in a cup now? Or, you know, it's like, chill out, dude. It's like, what do you expect him to think? She says that, she's like, no, you know, you're really Eddie Thon. And he's like, yeah, I know. And he's like, he's like, who, who the hell are you? And how did you know who I was? Then she takes off her little tiny domino mask. And, you know, so this was hiding the fact, you know, that it looked just like the girl he was reaching out to. You know, he didn't even notice that. But then he's like, you're... Barry's daughter? He's like, but I thought, and she's like, I know, you probably recognize me from when we first met in 2013, New Year's Eve. She's like, I was one of the new interns at CCPD. He's like, yeah, I remember that. And she's like, we had to travel back to 2013 to save the timeline. Then he's like, the thing I saw at the museum, I also saw at one at the cemetery. It killed Captain Korber. And she's like, it was a singularity. Thank goodness it stopped growing. One almost destroyed the whole city on the, the day you died. And then he's like, yesterday, I thought it was a man named Malcolm Gilmore. Turns out that that whole life was a lie. And in reality, I was a dead man. 
and some idiot who killed himself to kill a supervillain who didn't stay dead. She's like, but if you didn't do that, what you did, you know, in the pipeline, my dad would have died that day. He's like, maybe, or, or maybe I, I would have had a whole life, a family. He, and he's like, don't get me wrong. I'm grateful to be back from the dead. But, you know, without Iris, your mom is like, I don't have really have a reason to be here. And she's like, well, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I know that you've been given the greatest gift, a second chance. And, you know, you have to decide how you're going to use it. In the present, Mark's grumbling that they are officially out of ideas on how to help Barry in 2049 because, you know, they're stuck there. Keon mentions that, you know, so she's like, well, you were possessed by the crystal. You know, does that give you any insight into what it wants? And he's like, well, it's, it's powerful as hell and it hates Barry. And he's like, while I was trapped inside, all I could think of is, is, is how much I love that guy. He's given me so many second chances and 10th chances. And, and he's like, I guess my love was enough to fight the crystal's hate. Cecile's frustrated and she's like, oh, I wish I would have known. So, you know, I, I could have tried using my power as a boost to empathy. But then Chuck, he snaps. He's like, maybe you still can. You know, when Barry went into the past, he's like, you could still sense him. So your powers work across time. And she's like, well, what good does that do? She's like, I, I can't change the future. He's like, not from here. But and see, he says that she's projected her consciousness into other minds before. What if she projected her present consciousness into her future body? And it's like, just, yeah, just go ahead and do that. Yeah, how? I, just just do it. Nora sends a message to her dad. She's in the, like the, the time vault room. And, you know, she's like, well, I, I can't speak in, you know, further until we're in a secure channel. But an old friend of yours showed up. And then the, the computer says it should reach the watchtower when it emerges from the dark side of the moon in 12 hours and 52 minutes. So what kind of technology is this that you can't send a message out to us like a satellite I, I get that it's far but i would think i don't know it just seemed, seemed kind of weird it's gonna take 12 hours for this message then the, the light kind of flickers and a voice starts calling her name then she <laughs> I, I i feel like i mean i guess it would make sense that they don't know what's going on but she sees a blue crystal on, on the ground she stupidly picks it up and her eyes glow she is now possessed <sighs> At first, I was wondering, like, well, wouldn't they know that this already happened in the past? But they, they kind of addressed that aspect. So Eddie, he's, like, looking at, like, pictures of Iris, like, wedding pictures and stuff like that. And then Nora, like, kind of busts him. You know, she comes in, and he, like, you know, quickly turns it off to, you know, from the computer. And and Nora's like, she's a pretty amazing person to try to forget. And he's like, yeah, that, that was a long time ago. And then he says that, you know, he's like, you or she says that her mom told her a story about them, how, you know, she was destined to be iris west allen but they decided to be together anyways and he he's like screw the future and Nora's like oh sorry it's like i didn't mean to upset you wouldn't want to another singularity to open up in the cortex and he's like what do you mean she's like the singularities that have been opening they're tied to your emotions did nobody tell you because so this is the dark dark the crystal that's kind of like manipulating trying to manipulate him then he's like, wait, so what happened to Captain Corber? That was my fault? She's like, you didn't mean to do it. And he's like, oh my God, Nora, you got to help me. There must be some way to fix this, right? And she's like, well, I don't know. You know, when did the when did you first realize that you weren't Malcolm Gilmore? And he's like, well, I was at Mercury Labs. In the present, they check Cecile's vitals before, you know, they're going to hook her up to a machine. They're going to try to project her mind. I don't even know how they would have even an idea how to do this and how she's going to pinpoint the right, perfect, exact moment. So Mark says that, 
you know, she's not there to help 2049 Barry. She has to find their Barry. And Keon says that, you know, any friend that she meets could be influenced by the crystal. So, and then with the flip of a switch, it, it worked. So it's like, what the heck? How? Whoa. She catches her reflection and she's like, damn, she's like, looking good, future me. What? And, and then Allegra, it was like in the other side, she's like, are you okay, Cecile? What was that? And it goes like Allegra and, and Chuck are there. And then she excitedly sees them and she tries acting normal. Then she's like, so have either of you seen Barry lately? And Allegra kind of smiles. She's like, since he's been in outer space? And then, then like seriously, she's like, no. And she then she uh, Cecile tries to excuse herself. She's like, well, I, I'm just gonna go call Joe and Jenna and see what's for dinner. But it's like, okay, Jenna is like 26, 20, no, over 26 years old. Because how old is she now? Like three, four, five, four? I don't know. And then so she's like, she's gonna call home. And Chester's like, yeah, Joe would love that, especially since he haven't been up to the country house in a while. And that like catches her like off guard. And she's like, hey, you, got, you know what's funny? She's like, I can't remember the last time I was up there. And Allegra's like, well, I, I, I don't blame you since you know, you've know you only been up there. Like, and she looks at Chuck like, what, twice a year? And Chuck's like, yeah, with, with the chrono war and something. I forget what else he said. He's like, it's been a crazy year. But you know, I'm sure the family understands. You know, they, they need it. We need a heavy hitter like you. And then she's just like stunned. And then, then she kind of like passes out and she's forced back to the present. And she gets up. She's like, I'm sorry. She's like, I can't do this. I, I can't. And they're like, what the heck? She just like walks out. So Mark's like, um, someone's going after her, right? And Chuck's like, uh, goddess lady, you're up. Keon's like, actually, I'm not the best person for this, Chester. You are. And he's like, uh, no, I wouldn't know what to say. She's like, don't be afraid. Your heart is stronger than your fear. It'll know what to say to Cecile. Meanwhile, Eddie and Nora are back at his lab, at Mercury Labs. They're looking around. And she tries egging him on, asking you know, if he thinks he just randomly popped up after decades, is it coincidence? He's like, no, he's like, there's no such thing as coincidence. Then Nora's like, then you must be here for a purpose. Maybe it has something to do with, with the other Thons. You know, they were a pretty big deal or they were supposed to be. And he thinks back to Eobod telling him how he was forgotten in history. And you know, he he's like, well, he was just trying to get under my skin. And, and she's like, and it worked, didn't it? You proved him wrong by throwing your life away. It's like, what if you had the power to get that life back? He's like, Eddie's like, what do you mean? Nora's like, the Flash gets his powers from the Speed Force, but there's another side of the equation, another power that's spent far too long in the shadows, an unnatural balance. It needs some someone to stand up to the Flash, and that should be you. He's Eddie's like, I don't understand. He's like, are you talking about hurting your dad? Nora's like, Eddie, are you really this pathetic? A waste of a man like Eobard said, a loser, a nobody, forgotten by history? Are you still the idiot who died to save the man who stole his wife? He's like, no, I'm not. And then she takes off her glove and she's got, she has a crystal in her hand. So she tells him to show her how things are supposed to be. He like stares at it and we see like a blue flower. I don't know what's with the blue flowers. He's, you know, it's probably negative speed force somehow. But then a voice whispers, Eddie, choose. And he's like, it's like, no, this can't be real. He's like, I need some air. And he walks out. Then she says to the crystal, she's like, you were right. He is what we need. He's what we've been looking for. And soon he will be all ours. Then President Barry shows up like behind her, like she appears there. And then she, you know, she hides the crystal. She acts normal. She's like, dad, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, we're being attacked by a negative speed force. And it's using our friends to hurt us. And you see hugs her and says that, 
he's like, oh, I'm glad to see you. And she's like, me too. And then she like, slaps him in the back with the crystal. Blue energy zaps him and he like falls on the floor. He tries reasoning with Nora. He's like, no, Nora, you can fight this, whatever. And and she's like, oh, Barry. He's like, you're, always, you're so fast and always so slow. The most powerful hate is you know, from corrupting love. And he says, he's like, well, I'm not killing my daughter. And then evil Nora, nega Nora, whatever, says either you kill your daughter or I kill you. So then Eddie steps back. He's like, what are you doing? And Barry's like surprised to see him because, you know, he didn't know that he was back. And Nora's like, Eddie, I told you we're getting your life back. And he's like, no, this isn't right. And Barry like breaks free. He grabs Eddie, takes him to Joe's old, old house. And he's like, I can't believe you're here. He's like, you sacrificed your life to save me. I never thank you. And he like hugs him. And Eddie's like, he's, he's like, oh, okay. And he's like, the last couple of days, I thought I was losing my mind. You know, all my, all my stuff is here. And he's like, I thought this was my home, my life, but I was wrong. Everything's wrong. And he starts breaking down and crying, like sobbing. And Barry's like, like oh, it's going to be all right. He's like, you know, the crystal's threatening my family, possess my daughter. He's like, I don't know how to stop it, but, you know, maybe we can together. And Eddie's like, all I know is I used to be Malcolm Gilmore. I had his life, his memories. He's like, that was a lie. He's like, how is that possible? You know, there, there's, there's, and there's like this big, I don't know what this was. It was like a big cardboard something and it has like a big picture of eddie's face and it's almost like a big business card or something and barry picks it up and kind of flickers to like joe and then back to eddie and eddie's like yeah i saw that before it's like with my driver's license and barry's like it's it's negative tachyons he's like the whole place is full of it it's like how he just can sense that so he's like you know it's a false reality built for him to live you know in, inside so the negative speed force must have brought him back to life it resurrected him so that he could be its avatar so in the present, Chuck goes to talk to Cecile, and she's like, basically, she says she's feeling like a failure. You know, she made a mistake in her life. So she tells him, like, what she saw in the future. And she's like, I know myself. She's like, I did this before. You know, I missed my mother's death because I was working so Or maybe she missed a funeral because, you know, she was working so much. And then he's like, you know, if, if my past self could see me now working at Star Labs, being with Team Flash, he's like, I'd freak out. And he said that, or she's like, I've only seen Joe twice in the past year. He's like, I don't care how many times you see each other. He knows, you know, I said, or Chuck's like, I know that you two love each other. And she just, you know, needs to embrace her, this legacy that she's building, you know, that it's the right one. It's, you know, her heart and her dedication to the people that she loves. So she's doing this for them. Then in the future, Eddie's like, Avatar for what? And so Barry explains. You know, so it must want Eddie to choose. And he's like, that can't be right. It showed me a better life that, you know, I was the life I was supposed to have. And Barry says that it, it feeds on anger and hate and everything about it is evil. Now, Eddie starts getting defensive. He's like, whoa, but it brought me back from the dead. Is that evil? And he's like, what if I choose not to be the avatar? Do I go back to being dead? And Barry's like, like no, you know, you can have a normal life. And the, the, the voice whispers, he lies. And Eddie's like, oh, yeah? Because your team, you know, tried to, all he tried to do today was cuff me. It's like, that crystal, it actually wants me to, to get my life back, a life that I was a fool to get up. And Barry's like, you don't believe that. He's like, don't tell me what I believe. He's like, did you know I can hear it right now? Sometimes I can't tell if it's a crystal's voice or my own voice. He's like, coming back from the dead helps you realize the mistakes you made in your life. My mistake was being a nobody. And Barry's like, Eddie, you weren't a nobody. Listen to me. He's like, no, you listen. He's like, the second I died, everyone forgot about me. The man I sacrificed my life for, you thanked me by stealing my fiance. And now I have a chance to change that. If I choose a crystal, maybe I could be the hero. I could get the girl and the family I deserve. Barry's like, 
I know how much you're hurting, but the life that you're talking about isn't yours. He's like, Iris isn't your wife, nor isn't your daughter. He's like, but they were supposed to be, and they still could be. Barry says that, you know, he had a chance to, to start over with his own life. And then he whispers, he's like, what would Iris want you to do? And then possessed Nora screams, uh, Flash, Flash, you're like, bring me to Avatar. I'll tear this city apart. So Barry tells Eddie that he has to go. He's like, but I believe in you. He's like, he, he knows that no matter what happens, that he'll make the right choice. Shoom, takes off. So Barry meets up with Neganor in the middle of town. And she's like, where is the chosen one? The chosen one. And Barry's like, he made his own choice. And then he takes off. She starts chasing him. Cecile walks in the other room towards the table. Everyone's in there. And she just goes to like, you know, where she has to be hooked up. She's like, let's get to work. So we, we get a silly high-speed chase with uh, ne negative speed force Nora and Barry. There's a lot, you know, it's, it's what we've seen so many times. It looks cool and flashy, no pun intended. You know, the streaks of light, the running, and then the slow motion shots, and then the running, and the jumping, and the flipping. Nora's like, you know, sending blasts at Barry. He's dodging and flipping and... And then she stops at one point. She's like looking for a flash. And he comes up behind her and his like arms like fully charged like he's about to blast her. But then he just lets it like dissipate because he can't attack his daughter. And then he tries reaching Nora again. He's like, Nora, I know you're in there. And he's like, I, you know, I need your help. And she's like, sorry, dad. The girl you loved is long gone. And then somehow she forms like this energy whip and it wraps around him, tosses him from the ceiling. And he like he crashes into like a, a bus stop thing. Meanwhile... Um, in the future. So Iris, I guess they're still living in the loft after all these years. Maybe they just kept it. She's reading whatever. And Eddie walks in. He's like, Iris, my beautiful Iris, which is creepy. And she like freaks out. Cause he's like, who's this dude walking in? He's like, Oh, sorry. I should have knocked. He's like, but I knew that you always keep a key by the door. I was like, how do you even notice she still lived there? I guess maybe looked her up. So then she realized she's like, Eddie. And he's like, it's me. You're Eddie. She's like, look into my eyes. What do you see? And she's like, oh, my God, it, it is you. He or she like hesitantly hugs him. And he's like, I came because I had a decision to make. And I knew I couldn't make it without seeing you, even if it was for the last time. So, OK, good. You know, he's going to do the right thing. And she's like, well, you know, why don't you stay? You know, we can help you. And he says that he he doesn't want to leave, but he has to. It's it's like he hears a voice pulling him in different directions. And then you know, he sees a picture of Barry, Iris, Nora, and Bart. Their kid's Bart, right? Different from the comic. And then it changes to him, Iris, and blonde Nora. And then he's like, he, he like shows her. He's like, on second thought, maybe I will stay. Which is, he's like getting creepy now. So Neganor says Flash won't live because he doesn't have the guts to kill his own flesh, unlike Eddie, which is what makes him the ultimate avatar. So Barry's going to die like an animal. She uses an energy whip thing, wraps it around the SUV, and is about to like pound Barry with it because he's just lying on the ground. But then it stops in the air like right above him, and you hear, hey, blue eyes. And Cecile's there. She's wearing a costume. And Neganora's like, hey, empath, empath. It's like, I know you. You won't hurt Nora. And she's like, no. It's like, I won't hurt Nora. But you, get out of her head. And she like thrusts out her hand. And then uh, Nora and negative Nora kind of separate. It's kind of like Doctor Strange style when, when you know, they do that astral body set, whatever. And it's just like, stay out. And then it like dissipates. It's gone. Nora falls to the ground. 
and then the crystal is next to Nora, and then it disappears. Of course, it's gone. Where is it going now? The bear is like, Cecile. And <laughs> then she's like, actually, call me Virtue. <laughs> so wait, so all these years, Cecile's been a superhero, and she never had a superhero name. She's is she, is she just now getting a costume? And was this like present day Cecile saying, oh, I'm going to go by Virtue. So now, time paradox, because now she's going to have a, a code name. I don't know. So at the lot, Eddie's like, Iris, he's like, I know this is a lot to take in. My sacrifice robbed us of our future. This is a second chance to put things right. All I have to do, or all you have to do is say, I do. <laughs> it's like he's proposing to her. And she says that he always said that there was three people in a relationship. And he's like, but you didn't believe that. She's like, well, I was wrong. It was always Barry, even before I realized it. And she's like, I'm not sure how you got here, but something is, is wrong. If you let us, we will help you. She's like, I love Barry. I love the family and the life we built together. She's like, now more than ever, this is my future. And I'm sorry, that's not what you want. Then he's like, you're going to regret this. <laughs> you, Barry, and everything you both love. And then he kind of like walks out like sideways. It was kind of weird. But it's like, okay, dude, you're, you're, you're coming. 34 years ago, you've been dead. She's been with Barry all this for all this time, married, two kids and everything. And he's like, yeah, give all that up because you're supposed to be with me. Even though she's had this, she's had that life longer than she was alive before, longer than she knew. Idiot. <laughs> so then Nora uh, goes to Barry and says, she's like, I'm so sorry. Then they look up in the sky, there's like red lightning. And Barry's like, Eddie, what have you done? So at least it wasn't Barry this time. At Star Labs, Allegra's like, so you're to Barry from 2023, and you're to Cecile from 2023, but in our Cecile's body? And Barry mentions that the crystal's attacking him in the past. And Allegra, so Allegra asks a smart question. She's like, then how come we don't remember this? And he says, because the attacks are happening simultaneously, so all while charging the crystal for new avatar. So I guess maybe eventually they'll remember it when it catches up. I think that's how maybe that's how time works here if they're going that route. So the, the, the crystal's charging up. Cecile mentions uh, Speed Force Nora came and disappeared, and Nora's like, "Big Nora's gone." She's like, "Dad." He's like, "Yeah, that, that's why we can't feel her anymore." Chester says that the red lightning in the sky is is a timeline starting to fracture. <laughs> of course, he would know that. He's like, "It'll spread in every direction." It's like we don't have much time left. And Barry asks Cecile if he can warn the team in the present. And they wonder where Eddie is. And Iris comes in and she's like, Barry, we need to talk. So 2023, Barry talks to future to 2049, Iris. He's like, you're as beautiful as the day we got married. It's like, give me a break. And she's like, I can't believe Eddie is doing this. You know, he seemed his old self and then he just suddenly changed. And Barry says that the negative speed force is manipulating his mind. And Barry says that, you know, he doesn't know how to stop what's coming, but he promises he will do whatever it takes to protect her and her family. And she's like, I know. And, and cause like before he's like, Oh, there's so much I want to ask you. He's like, you know, like, are you, are we happy and stuff like that? But then she's like, and answer your question. Yes, we're happy. It's like each day I love you more than ever, no matter what life throws at us and blah, blah, blah. Then he's then he gets pulled out of there. <laughs> he's gone. Then we see like blue flowers, the blue roses, whatever. There's like some cheesy music. Eddie's sitting in his lab, and then he smashes some stuff on the table. He's like, "Why? Why bring me back and show me what I can't have?" He's like, "What I do to deserve this?" And you're like, "Eddie, 
Eddie. And it reminds me like like Venom calling Eddie Brock. But then so the crystal's like in this case thing and he just like pulls off the lid. And then like in the crystal, he kind of sees his life inside. He sees like Nora and, and Iris, and then she disappears. And he's like, No, don't go. And the voice is like, They're not gone. They're waiting for you. And he's and he's like, Tell me what to do. Accept our power and end the legacy of Barry Allen forever. So then Eddie like opens a portal with his hand and like smiles. And that's the end of the episode. So one more episode left. So we're ending this with this four-part story of I mean, okay, fine, Eddie Thon is back, but Eddie Thon is back and gonna turn evil and this whole negative speed force. I don't I don't know. I mean, may, maybe it's fine to end the series, but I, I just I don't know. I'm not not really digging it, but that's that's what how it was. So one more to go, and then that's it. All over. No more flash ever. All right, now Silo. So I'm, I think I'm like three weeks behind, but there's four episodes because they dropped two in the first week. So Silo is a Apple TV Plus show, and um, it's it's interesting. Um, I didn't even know that uh, Rashida Jones Rashida, is that her name. I, sorry, um, I know Rebecca Ferguson's. Been, she's like not almost like not really in, in the first episode, but. It's basically all these people. So it's like it's apocalyptic world, whatever. Everyone's living in this humongous, huge, uh, multi-level silo. And you can't go outside. But then the whole thing is like, well, maybe we're being lied to is what it comes down to. So episode 101, Freedom Day, uh, the sheriff, his name's Holston, but I, I usually just refer to him as sheriff. He's narrating, you know, he's, it starts off with it, you know, they do not know why they are there. They do not know who built the silo. You know, we see all these levels and everything like that. We do not know why everything outside is as it is, you know, so they don't know when it will be safe to go outside. They only know that that day is not today. So, but you see there's like garden levels, there's living quarters and everything like that. So it's like this whole huge, it's like a city in this, this, it's not like a, like a farm corn silo or whatever. It's like a huge bunker thing that is like massive. So the sheriff, and then, um, I don't know if I missed it, but then it, it cuts, it goes back in the past. So the sheriff tells his deputy to meet him in holding three. Oh no, 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 I take that back. This is a present. He tells his deputy meeting, meet him in holding three. And the sheriff goes in, locks the door and like tosses a key out like in, in the, the hall. And then he, he looks, it looks like he's looking at a window, but I think it's a screen and you see like a dead body lying there. Then he says that he should have done this long ago. The, de the deputy comes in, he like, he's begging him. He's like, don't say it. Then the sheriff's like, I want to go out. And then he lays down on a cot. Then we, we see like a glimpse of Allison, Rashida Jones. She like smiles. So now it goes back in the past. So I, it, it didn't say like two years ago or five years ago. I forget how long it was supposed to be. So we see the sheriff and his, his wife, Allison, Rashida Jones. They're like having co coffee in their little like kitchen area. They're waiting on the news because uh, they find out reproductive clearance approved because this was like their third time applying. You can't just have a kid whenever you want. So you have to apply to have kids. They applied again. They were you know rejected twice. Third time they're like, yep, you can have a kid. You can or try to have a kid. They go to breakfast and like everyone seems to know. Everyone's like kind of congratulating them, them like that. This one lady, Gloria, she's a fertility counselor. She comes up to them, but the sheriff doesn't like her. You know, he, he calls her a fraud or whatever like that. So then they go to an actual doctor. He's like, I'm going to remove the birth control. He's like, it'll be a few weeks for the hormones to kick back in. So they, then he pulls out. It's like a, a huge capsule. 
it's like like maybe almost like two inches long. Uh, it's just like crazy. So he just takes it out. And he said, I think he's like, he's like, you feel that? He's like, you're you're numb down there or something, whatever. So now you see like a counter. They're given 365 days basically to get pregnant. Allison works, you know, she works for Tim Robbins. Oh, yeah, Tim Robbins is in it. He's not in this first episode that much. His name is Bernard. He's her boss. Uh, she like posts like, I don't know if she posts news or articles, like IT stuff or something like that. And he he comes up to her desk and he this article about how to retrieve deleted files. He's like, oh, you didn't clear that with me first or whatever. He's like, I took it down because he wasn't really happy with, you know, what she posted because I guess there's a lot of control over like what is being put out there or something like that. Then later she's eating with the sheriff. She wonders, um, you know, if the rebels erased her history, you know, why aren't they allowed to ask about it? So something happened in the past. There was like some revolution, you know, there's these rebels fighting and in this fight, their past got erased. So that's it goes back to what was said. They don't know why they're there. They have no idea what, what's going on. So the sheriff and, and the deputy are talking um, to this lady. She's a mayor about Freedom Day is coming, and you know she's worried about you know making sure everyone's safe and you know no one gets into any mischief or anything like that. Then Gloria comes with Allison and asks if she's pregnant yet because, you know, she wants to ask her a question in private. So they go, it must be like her place, Gloria's place. And then she turns on the water like the faucet and, and you know, Allison's like, why are you doing that? And she's like, so no one can listen. She's like, have you ever wondered what was on the servers they erased in the books that they burned? If it was even the rebels that did it? Allison's like really uncomfortable with this. She's like, I should probably get to work. She says that, you know, she asked her here, Gloria asked her here, because she heard that she was also someone who wonders. And and then she's like, why do we live underground? What actually happened out there? She's like, do you really think that you're the kind of person that they want to have children? So the sheriff's not happy. He wants to send, like, psych people to go see Gloria. And uh, Allison says that she means well. She's just, you know, wondering about the baby. And he's like, no, it's because she never had kids or she was like denied or something like that. So she's just angry. And he says that, you know, she had her birth control removed. So they have the same chance as anyone of getting pregnant because, you know, Gloria is like, you know, they don't want you to have kids. But it's like, no, they, they took it out without the birth control. So she can have kids in theory. So Allison goes to work. It's her, her turn to deal with this ticket request from some some dude. So she's going to have to like go and stay in a hospital because it's a, he's at a like lower level or something like that. So she has to go in the morning. She's going to miss Freedom Day festivities. And she decides that you know, she's talking to the sheriff. So she decides that they should give another try at his office. And, you know, people can kind of hear stuff from out there and they're kind of snickering or whatever. So she heads down. She catches like a show while she's in a food, a food area. She keeps going. She goes down, down, whatever. She meets this, this dude, George. He's, he's like, oh, I've been looking forward to meeting with you for a long time. He, he apologized about getting her down there on Freedom Day. And she's like, well, that's okay. You know, I was on call. You know, my husband's working. And he says, yeah, I figured with him being the sheriff. So he obviously knows something about her. So he figured that he, he would get her. And she's like, I don't understand. She's like, you know, how can I help you? And he says that he read her post about how to retrieve deleted files, and he figured it wouldn't stay up long, so he printed it. She's like, oh, that must have cost a fortune. He's like, it was worth every credit. So he wanted to get her. You know, they, they kept sending him everyone but her. Then he figured that with the holiday, she's like, why didn't you just ask for me? And he's like, well, I don't want to rouse suspicion. And she's like, from who? She's like, are, are you worried about judicial? 
And George is like, isn't everyone? And she's like, is this about a relic? And he's like, that's just it. He's like, I don't know. He says a guy came to came in about a year ago with what looks like like an old computer hard drive, something, said that he found it under the carpet in a closet. He fired it up and it looked like it was empty. Then he tried what she posted, you know, about retrieving deleted files, and he was able to check the memory. It says that most of the drive is in use, but he can't find any files. So basically there's something there, but he can't see it. So she's like, well, it could just be like old family recipes. He says that he checked the log and there's no record of this serial number. So, of course, you know, the log starts after the rebellion. So then Allison's like, you think this drive is over 140 years old? She's like, that's impossible. All the drives were destroyed in rebellion. And then she decides to give it a shot. The sheriff and the deputy, meanwhile, are escorting the mayor because, you know, they're about to do this big whatever presentation celebration thing. Allison has been trying a bunch of stuff and, you know, she looks at the at the outside of the case she's like what does 18 mean and then she's like wait she asked for, for a magnifying glass the mayor just like it's time for her to give a speech she talks about 140 years ago it was a moment they regained their freedom um if the rebellion had succeeded and they opened the door to the outside none of them would be there uh you know they would be dead today so that the, that was the, the the price of their lives was the erase erasure of their history so Allison is examining the drive. You know, you see AT501334, but in teeny tiny letters, you know, she's looking with the magnifying glass. So she can barely see it with the magnifying glass. Little letters to say library. And she's like, I think that's what it says. So she uses that in a directory, whatever. And, you know, she logs back in and then it starts opening files. And you see like blueprints for the silo, like utilities, like all this stuff like that. There's all these like folders. And then it's, it starts opening like blueprint level files. And George's like, look at this. And then she takes off her glass. She's like, I won't. She's like, you shouldn't either. She's like, you should bury this. And he's like, are you kidding? This is great. She's like, this is a relic. It's against the law to even have it. He's like, but this could be the key to everything we don't know. And she's like, and they can send you out to clean for this. And, and then he's like, are, are, are you going to tell your husband? She's like, just get rid of it. And then she leaves. She, then he goes back to the computer. <laughs> so he's, he's not going to, like, I don't know what he's going to do. Or we don't know yet. The mayor goes on about how this day should be celebrated, blah, 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 whatever like that. But then um, George is still looking at the file. And it almost looks like there's, like, a tunnel underneath, like, at the bottom of the silo. It's like, where is that supposed to go? So then um, the sheriff and Allison, so they're back at their place. They decide to give it another go. But then she stops. She says that she's, you know, just tired from the climb. And then he asks is if she's 70 levels tired or just tired. Cause I, I think their time trying is, is almost up. So she's working um, the next day, her coworker, Karen asks how it went with George. And she says that she couldn't help him. Then Allison's, she's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm actually not feeling well. So she's, you know, says she's going to you know head out or whatever like that. She actually goes back to Gloria, the, the fertility, uh, whatever first lady. And Gloria says that she hoped that she would be back. Allison's like, why wouldn't they want us to have children? And Gloria makes her wait, and she turns on the faucet. But then it cuts to later, Allison's having dinner and says that, you know, she's going to take tomorrow off and go to the market, you know, get some exercise, get her mind off of probably, you know, whatever, what they're trying to, you know, get pregnant and all that. She ends up going back to George's place and says that she wants to see everything. So then it's evening. It's like late. Sheriff's wondering, like, where is she at? Because, you know, she's not home yet. 
Allison's still there. She's like, she says her brain is, is fried. She tells George, she's like, needless to say, we shouldn't tell anyone about this. And he's like, needless to say. But then he's like, you know, when can you come back? And she's like, I don't know. But then she points to one file labeled differently than the others. So, uh, you know, you look at it, it's like Jane Carmody cleaning. And she's like, what's that? And he's like, I don't know. So then they're like, one last file. So they decided to check it out. And it looks like it's a video of outside. It's like, wait, are those birds in the sky? But then she heads back up. She arrives home. Husband's like, like, oh, it's late. And she's like, yeah, blah, blah. You know, she's talking about shopping. She just heads to the bathroom. Then later, he says that he got a message from the doctor. He can see them at 11. And, you know, he's like, well, you know, technically we still have a few hours. And she's like, no, it's fine. She's like, I'm just going to sleep in a little and I'll meet you there. Because, you know, he's like, we have a few hours. We can, you know, try it one more time, whatever. Then he's like, are you okay? And she's like, no, but I will be. Because, you know, she's bummed. You know, their time's up. She didn't get pregnant. So then she rolls over, like, away from him. And you see, like, on the monitor later, it's like zero, zero days remaining. At the doctor's, um, the sheriff's there. They're waiting for Allison. Look at the clock. She's, like, 25 minutes late. Then the sheriff goes to Allison's work, talks to Karen. And Karen says that she sent a note that she wasn't feeling well. So he goes home. She's sitting at the table and like the faucet is on. She's like, we need to talk. You know, she wanted to talk to him last night, but she wasn't sure if he'd want to hear what she had to say. You know, he doesn't always listen. She figured that since, you know, he's a lawman that, you know, he would, she needed to, she would need to give him some proof. And he's like, proof of what? She's like, I can't tell you how I know this, but they were never going to let us have children. He's like, what? She's like, I'm not the type of person they want having kids. He's like, who's they? She's like, the enforcers of the pact, they want docile, obedient people. He's like, I saw Dr. Leonard take out your birth control. She's like, no, you didn't. He's like, I was there. And she's like, he was behind a curtain. You didn't see what he was doing. And I can assure you, he didn't take out my birth control. And he's like, how do you know that? And then she's like, because I just did. And she holds it like in her, her like bloody hand. You, you see that there's one of those capsules in there. And you see, like, on a table, like, there's, a, like, a plate with an apple. There's, like, a bloody knife there. So he rushes over to her. He pulls away a bandage. And you see, like, a hole in her side. And he's, like, keep pressure on that. He's, like, don't move. He runs out. Runs. And he's, like, running past people. Goes to the doctor. And he gets him to come back. As they head, head back, Deputy Marnes sees him. You know, down the hall. He's, like, oh, good, Sheriff. He's, like, I can't. Allison's hurt. He's, like, Allison's in the cafeteria. So she's talking to whoever's in the cafeteria. She's like, none of this is real. And there's like a big like screen. Like, the, the, again, it's not a window. I wasn't sure. It's was like, is this a window? But no, because they're underground. So obviously it's not a window. It's a screen. She's like, none of this is real. She's like, do you see? They want to keep you, you know, in here. They're lying to you. It's green out there. There's green trees. There's blue skies. And, and she's like dripping blood on the floor from her wound. She's like, there's things flying in the air. It's like, is no one listening to me? They're keeping us here. It's like, this display is a lie. Sheriff arrives and, and she tells him, she's like, I'm not crazy. He's like, why are you treating me like I'm crazy? He's like, you're bleeding. You need to come. She's like, no, I've been thinking about this a lot, okay? I just know there's no other way. And then she yells, I want to go out. And everyone's like, <gasps> and the sheriff's like shocked. And then she whispers it again. And then he's like, God. And then the deputy handcuffs her. And you see the sheriff, he's like, like heartbroken. So the sheriff, deputy, and the mayor talk. And the mayor is like, we could say she was distressed or they misheard. The deputy is like, there was people there. They heard what they heard. And the sheriff goes and yells, but he's like, there's nothing we can do. He's like, if you boil on the pack to one rule, 
it's do not say that you want to go outside or you will fudge and go outside. The mayor asks if anyone else played a part in this, like steering this direction. The deputy mentions Gloria, the, the fertility, fertility counselor. They talked to her. She said that, you know, stuff like how they didn't want her to have kids. Marnes, the deputy, also says that they brought up the guy from the marketplace, George Wilkins. And the sheriff says that Allison said that she went shopping yesterday and he thought that she went back to see him. Wilkins said that she never came back. A judicial team searched his stall, but they didn't find anything. So he must have, he did get rid of the relic, the, the hard drive. Sheriff says that, or he, at least he hid it. The sheriff says that Allison feels things strongly, like not having a baby. You know, maybe it was just too much. The mayor tells him that, you know, he doesn't have to be here for arrest, but he's like, no, he's like, I'm the sheriff. So, you know, he has to be there. She talks about how people will want to see this. You know, it's been a while since they've had one. And so, you know, I guess it's like a kind of like a showy procedure, whatever. So some people are preparing it like a, a exosuit, you know, whatever. Allison's sitting in a, in a cell. The sheriff is sitting on the floor outside. She says that she's sorry. And he's like, I am too. And she's like, I didn't go all crazy. He's like, you cut something out of your body with a knife. She's like, yeah, and it hurt like hell. And he's, he's like, I took the capsule back to Dr. Leonard. And she's like, oh, yeah, what'd he say? It was there to hold a spot, prevent infection, something like that, right? He doesn't reply because that's probably exactly what he said. And she's like, it doesn't matter. And he's like, size. She's like, I have to tell you something, but I need you to sit close. And he's like, I don't, she's like, I don't want anyone to hear. He's like, we're alone. She's like, please. She's like, first of all, I love you. That is the most important thing. She's like, I know you're angry. I would be too. You know, what I found out, what they told us isn't true. Why we're here, what happened 140 years ago, why and who gets to have children. And that's not even the big thing. He's like, so you, you find out and you bring it to me, to, to Mayor Jans, to ju judicial. He's like, you tell everyone in the silo, you know, what you know. What you don't do is say the words that get you sent out there to die. And she's like, but that's the big thing I found out. I won't die out there. It's like, listen, they have the ability to change what we see on the screens. In the cafeteria, throughout the silo, everywhere. They take an image and they alter it somehow. So what we're seeing is not what's out there. It's what they want us to think is out there. And he like points to the window. He's like, what's that right there? And there, it's like the last three people who cleaned. And she's like, or maybe that's not what it is. What if it's just rocks and bushes? He's like, I know what I'm seeing. She's like, not if it's just what the computer wants you to see. And he's like, why would they do that? She's like, to keep us in here. He's like, okay, okay. If it's so wonderful outside, why would they not want us to go out? And she's like, I don't know. She says that you know she should get some sleep or he should get some sleep. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. And then she asks, she's like, why do people clean? You know, and he's like, to get dust and grime off the sensor so we can see. She's like, no, no. Why do they go through with it? Most people swear they're not going to do it. When you arrested Brent, he said that you'd have to put a bullet through his head and throw him down the stairs because he wasn't going to clean. And then what did he do? And the sheriff's like, he cleaned. So Allison's like, I think people clean because they hope somehow that they can show people the truth that, and she points outside, that is a lie. When I go out there, if that's what it's really like, I won't clean. I'll wave goodbye because I would have made the biggest mistake of my life. But if I'm right and it's green and lush and beautiful, I'll pull out my wool and I'll start to clean and you'll know and then I'll walk over to the, the hill and I'll find out what's going on. And then I'll come back for you. 
So then it cuts to, you know, later, whatever, suits being put on her, sealed and everything. The mayor says, Alison Becker, you have been charged with and convicted of violating the cardinal law of our society. Any spoken request to leave the silo is granted, but is irrevocable. Once uttered, it is determinative. You have been asked to clean and have been provided with materials to do so, but you cannot be forced into cleaning. Once outside the airlock, you are outside the law. And she hands the book over to the sheriff. And Allison like smiles at him. And he reads, this is what he said before at the beginning. We do not know why we are here. We do not know who built the silo. We do not know why everything outside the silo is as it is. We do not know when it will be safe to go outside. You see, he's starting to like choke up a little bit. We only know that day is not today. And he's like crying. He's got tears going down his face. He's, Allison Becker, on behalf of the people in the silo, I hope that you will clean so that we will be better or so we will better see the world outside our sanctuary as it is and thereby re be reminded that here is safe and there is not. Then he asks if she has any last words and she's like, I love you. They put a helmet on her. They walk her down to that, like the end of the corridor, like opposite the cell. They open this big airlock door. He opens it and then he pulls this big lever you know the door closes behind her the room kind of fills with steam this other door opens and she kind of heads up a ramp and then that door closes behind her and then the room fills with like flames <laughs> that she was in before i don't know if it's like probably to sanitize it or something like that people in the, are watching in the cafeteria and you know watching the screen they see this hatch open she walks out george is there um sheriff watches from the cell window because they know they're all watching the same monitor i guess there's only one camera so she's right outside. She starts, she's looking at, at the camera. She starts wiping it and everyone cheers. So the sheriff can see her like face in the mask and she walks towards the hill. So it's like, if she cleans, so that means it must be lush and everything. That's what she said. She starts walking like towards the hill, but then she kind of like slowly falls to her knees and people get like solemn all of a sudden. Then she gets up, they start cheering, but then, you know, she takes like another like step order. Then she like falls and then she just, you know, goes to her knee and she falls over. And then she just lies there. And then the sheriff bows his head. So it was like, did she just die? But why would she clean everything? You know, maybe everything was, you know, it was green sky, looks better than it does on the screen. But then it was still too much. Even though she's in a suit, it still killed her. Or maybe, like she's saying, they're manipulating the video. And she's actually walks to the hill. But now it's just replaced with the image of a body laying there. You know, they they CGI'd it like on the fly. So people head out, you know, they, they leave the, the cafeteria, probably going back to the quarters. Then it's two years later. Okay, so that, that's what, what the time was. The sheriff sitting in his kitchen, goes to work, sits at his desk. Marin says that there's something you should see, hands him a folder, says George Wilkins. He's the one that Allison went to help at the marketplace. He got a transfer to mechanical last year. He's dead. He went over to rail somewhere around level 120. And the sheriff's like, accident, suicide? And the deputy's like, I don't know. No one saw him go over. Then he's like, get to the part that you're not telling me. He's like, there's an engineer down there that says it was murder. So they go down to whatever the levels. They go to the morgue. Marnes asks, uh, the, there's a, like another deputy down there because you know they must have multiple deputies, you know, different levels. He's like, where's the engineer? And the, the dude, he's, his name's Hank. He's like, uh, so I guess, again, he's a deputy down there. He's like, she, she says that she couldn't make it. 
Marin's like, it took us a day to walk down here. She could have cleared her schedule. And he's like, well, something came up. He's like, meeting with us isn't optional, Hank. She says, if this guy was murdered, we need to speak to her. And then the sheriff's like, what came up? Hank's like, the generator, it's been giving her fits. And so the sheriff's like, what does she do? Hank's like, well, she pretty much keeps everyone in the silo alive. So they walk down to where the generator is. Hank points her out, says her name is Juliet Nichols. Or so it says Re Rebecca Ferguson. And then she like turns and she sees them. So then Marnes says, he's like, what happened between you and her? So this is like a voiceover. He's like, for two years, you were dead inside. Then you met Juliet Nichols. So what, did he like fall in love with her? Like love at first sight? But then the sheriff's in his cell. So now we're back at the beginning of the episode. He says, I finally started listening is all. And Marnes is like, to what? And the sheriff's like, to Allison, to what she was trying to tell me. I'm not going to tell you what that was. All you need to know is I'm going to go find her. And Marnes is like, you want to find her? He's like, she's right there. And he points to the screen. And the sheriff's like, if that's really, if that really is her out there or not, either way, I'm done. I've got to know the truth. And that's the end of the first episode. So again, he, he, she was clean. She said she wasn't going to clean, but then she apparently died. And then he sat there with that for two, two years. It's like, what would you do? You know, your life, the love of your, your life, your wife, the love of your life goes out there and dies. Episode two. Holston's pick, so season one, episode two, Holston's suit is put on him, it's sealed. Uh, the mayor goes through the spiel about, you know, being asked to clean, that, you know, it's not his duty he, when he's outside the, the silo, he's outside the law, whatever. The deputy's with her, you know, any last words, and he's like, sorry for all the fuss. Helmet's put on him, Marnes, the deputy, he opens the door, Holston steps through the first door, Marnes pulls the lever, he heads up the ramp, hatch opens, bright light, opening credits. So people are, they gather to watch the screens, including Juliet. So it's like, we don't know what the deal is with, because in the last episode, they just see each other for the first time. But that was two years ago. So they see him exit. Holston stands and he looks and he's like, damn it, Allison, you were right. He sees blue skies. He sees grass. So it's not the desolate wasteland that you see on the screen. There's like trees with leaves. There's birds flying. And he's like, they have to see. So he turns around. The screen is still showing the desolate landscape. He walks over to the camera. He wipes everyone's cheers. Then he walks to the path, like where Allison fell. Then his breathing starts to falter. So it's like, is the air poison? Is his suit not protecting him or something like that? And then he actually seems to fall over. And then, then he starts to like try to pull off his, his helmet. People are yelling. They're like, what's he doing? They're like, has anyone taken her helmet off before? You know, where is he going? And then someone's like, to be with his wife. And he like crawls over to her, her body. And then he kind of like stops moving. And then Juliet watches carefully. And then she angrily walks out and she grumbles like, he's a liar. He's like a fudging liar. And other people start fighting over, like, because they were, like, betting, like, how long he was going to last or was he going to clean or not and stuff like that. And then this one guy sat at his table. He starts saying how it's messed up that a sheriff was sent out to clean, but they can't lose themselves. You know, if anyone wants to fight, it should be up top, you know, or in the mids. He's like, here in the down deep, it's none of our business. He's like, our business, keep the lights on, keep the generator running. Yeah. Keep the silo alive. Yeah. Juliet reaches a generator and she grabs this big wrench. She's very agitated. Dude continues talking. He's like, here in the down deep, we will just get the poop done, okay? Crowd cheers, yeah. Juliet, like, yeah, she screams, and she throws a wrench. It hits this big, like, pipe, and water starts spurting out, whatever. 
And then like later she has to like shut the pipe off to like fix it, you know, fix it later or something like that. Then we see Marnes at sitting at the desk. He looks at the sheriff's badge and there's like a letter for him. He like starts, he opens and starts reading, but then the receptionist Sandy comes in and says that he has a message from Karen's. And, you know, they've been getting more alerts about people lining up at recycling, trying to get their hands on pipes and hammers and stuff like that. And he's like, yeah, people are boneheads. And she's like, well, you know, people are scared. And, you know, he says that he's going to check in with people or whatever. And she is like, do you want anything for in the cafeteria? And he's like, just just go home. And then she's like, you know, he really loved her. If you're wondering why, you know, the sheriff, he loved his wife. And he's like, yeah. Then she leaves and he goes back to the note. We don't see what it, what it says yet. So Marnes walks home. He walks by the cafeteria, glances at the big screen. Juliet, she's well in the pipe that she busted because, like, you know, she, of course she has to fix it. Marnes goes to the mayor, and she's, like, knitting for a couple whose babies do next week. She talked about how she used to be able to make, a, like, a lot more for whatever. She offers him a drink. You know, after a day like today, they could use one. She's like, I'll bring out the good stuff. And she says it comes from before the rebellion. So is that, like, over 140 years old? And then, you know, they raise a glass to Holson Becker. And then he's like, you decide who you're going to pick for sheriff. She's like, I'm not looking at him. Marnes is like, I'll help break in the next one, but I'm going to retire. She says that when the last guy retired, he chose Holston. So if Holston re- retired, then she could have just honored his wishes. Now judicial will try and slip one of their people into the post. So she asks if Holston said anything to him. He's like, nope. And she's been reading the mayor's ledgers and she's up to 47. So I don't know if that's 47 years or whatever. So it's like everything that went down, how much water was used, who was sent out, like all this stuff like that. And she's like, there's not a single instance of a mayor seeing a sheriff out to, or sending a sheriff out to clean. Marin says that, you know, he went out, but she didn't send him. And she says that she didn't bring him up. She didn't bring it up to like feel sorry for herself. She did it because she doesn't know what happened before the ledgers existed. And Marnes is like, before the rebellion? She's like, before whatever caused the rebellion. And he's like, you worry it was the cleaning? She says that you know she worries about instability. And he's like, that's why we need a new sheriff as soon as possible. And then we see some dudes are getting hammers and stuff from like the supply depot or whatever. And these two guys start fighting over the last hammer. One guy's like, I need this. And the other's like, no, you're not getting this. And there's like fighting everything like that. Then they kind of freak out a little bit because some guys are walking up. They're like, it's judicial. And they're like, poop. So there's three guys coming. They're dressed in black. And then the one guy in the middle, Sims, who's played by Common, he's, he's, you know, he's wearing this leather jacket, whatever. And then there's a, a deputy there, and Sims acknowledges him. So Deputy Brooks, he says, he's like, oh, yeah, I got it under control. And he's like, I want the names of the men involved. So then we see this lady in this room, this older lady. There's like chatter on the radio about, you know, when are they getting a new sheriff or whatever. Juliet comes in, and then she grabs this, like, old toaster. She starts, like, fixing it. And the lady's like, why are you coming in here angry and taking it out of my toaster? And she's like, you know, you can come in and use my tools and stuff, but you have to tell me what's going on. And then Juliet's like, fine, then I won't stay. And the lady's like, you didn't come to mend a toaster. You came to talk, you know, as, as hard as it is for you. So she mentions, you know, the lady mentions it's been three months since George died. And then she's like, are you saying that he lied? And she's like, no, Holston lied. Then she's like, you think George was murdered? She's like, yeah, yeah, because he didn't kill himself. So, and she's like, how can you be so sure? And Juliet's like, because the last time I saw him, he really wanted to show me something. He's like, we were celebrating Cooper becoming my shadow, and George was always paranoid because they weren't sanctioned. So that means if you're in a, if you're in a relationship, you're supposed to get approval. 
I guess, because everything's very controlled. So we get a, a flashback to the cel- a celebration in the cafeteria. There's they're drinking, there's cake. So this guy was going to be like her shadow, like her protege or something like that, I guess. And uh, Juliet hands George like a piece of cake and her eyes lock and her hands lingered as she passes a plate. So obviously they're, they're in a relationship. And he kind of gets nervous. And she's like, everyone knows about us. He's like, they don't give a poop. Then he whispers, he's like, something happened. He's like, something big. And he's like, I, can, I can't tell you here. He's like, but can I speak to you later? And she's like, well, I'm working late. And he's like, well, I'll tell you at your place. And then he, he, George nervously like eyes the judicial dudes like walking around and he like leaves. So she continues the story. She's like, when I got off of work at midnight, I was exhausted. I was looking forward to seeing George. She gets to her place and she's like, George, she calls out to him. She sees this pouch and then she opens it. There's like this old Pez dispenser in there. And, you know, she doesn't know it's like, what's this? Because it's, you know, so long. They don't, they don't know Pez's. There's a note inside as well. We don't see the note. And she goes to cafeteria. I guess it's the next day. She sees Coop, her, like, protege. She's like, oh, you don't look hungover. And he's like, no. He's like, I'm just sad. And she's like, why? He's like, you don't, haven't you heard? He's like, computer George went off the stairs last night. They're saying it was suicide. And she's just staring at him silently. Says, you know, he never showed up. He wasn't at her place. And then he's, the, the Coop's like, did you know him well? So then she talks to Hank, the deputy down at that level. He says, you know, he's like, I don't know what to say. He's, you know, he's like, suicide is a crime against the silo. She's like, yeah, I know. And he's like, you know, if you have proof that he didn't jump, you'd be saving me a mountain of paperwork, but murder? And by who and why? She's like, I don't know. She's like, I just know he didn't kill himself. So Hank's like, okay, see, for it to be murder, you need more than that. So she tells him, she's like, don't patronize me. He's like, I'm not patronizing you. He's like, I just, I know you were... You know, he knows that they're together. He's like, I figured, you know, down here, who cares? And he's like, you know, the thing is, if you were in a sanctioned relationship, this would be easier because a partner has certain rights. And she's like, yeah, well, and then he's like, oh, you know, fudge it. He's like, I'll run your concerns up top. I'll say it came from a coworker who knew him well and see what the sheriff has to say. He's a good man. So she's back at the generator. And then it's a scene from the last episode where Hank comes in with the sheriff and Marnes. You know, they see each other. And it's almost like, it's like, do they know each other? But they don't. So Hank shows them where the body was found. You see the impact. There's like this big, like thick, like wire cage over like a big, like propeller fan thing or something like that. So the, the, the cage is kind of like busted because he just landed on it. He says that he think he fell maybe 100 feet. Martin says to Juliet, he's like, you seem awfully tense. And she's like, it's like, I'm always tense, sir. And then she's like, it wasn't suicide. He wasn't depressed. He wasn't giving anything away. There's no sudden elation that he finally made a decision that he would. And then the sheriff's like, we're all taught those signs, you know, so early. So people get good at hiding them. And Marnes asks, he's like, you know, he asks her how she knew him. Hank cuts, cuts in. He's like, oh, everyone down here knows everybody. And, you know, George was a funny guy. And then he asks, you know, why does she think that he was murdered? You know, did he have any enemies? And she says that there was opportunity for murder. He died at, what, 3 a.m.? It's like, there's no one on the stairs then. And they're like, unless you're a porter. So I was wondering, who there's these dudes with these big backpacks on, and they're like, they're constantly running. I was like, is this the same dude just running the stairs? But I guess they're carrying stuff from, you know, level to level or whatever. So there's no one on the stairs unless you're a porter or if you're going to jump. So then the sheriff asks Marnes, he's like, well, why don't you call dispatch to see if any porters were on the stairs? And the sheriff says, you know, he's like, sorry about your coworker. He's like, I'm going to check the body again. Oh, he also noticed her watch. He said something about her watch or something like that because she's wearing this big, big watch. 
And so he's gonna, he said he's gonna check the body again, see if there's any signs of a struggle. He's like, I hate to ask, but maybe there's something that you'd see that I don't, but only if you're up to it. And she's like, yeah, sure, cool. So at the morgue, he's like, are you ready, whatever? You know, and then pulls the blanket off. He checks the wrists and he says he's looking for any previous like suicide attempts because usually people try slitting their wrists or whatever. And he, he says that, you know, he never gets used to bodies, you know, after all these years. And he asked her if she's ever, you know, seen it when she's like, yeah, I think when she was 12, she lost her brother and then her mom when she was 13. And then he kind of let on that maybe he knows of their situation and why it might be hard for her to accept suicide that, you know, that she and George were in a relationship. So then Marnes and Hank come in before she can say anything about that. And they're like, it was a quiet night for porters. Also, judicial's on their way. And he asked them to ask around to see if anyone was on the stairs. In the cafeteria, he, uh, sheriff's talking to Juliet. He's like, how long were you in a relationship? And she's like, doesn't say anything. He's like, I won't tell anybody. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, why didn't you get sanctioned? And he's like, look, if we're going to figure out what happened, you're going to have to tell me the truth. He's like, you went to my deputy and said murder. You wanted help, right? And she whispered, he didn't kill himself. And Sheriff's like, okay, I got to meet with judicial. The not knowing, it's going to haunt you forever. So then she's like, he left something for me. And he's like, what? And she's like, you being sheriff and me not being sheriff, I need you to promise me that you're not going to rat me out to judicial. And Sheriff's like, is it a relic? Because if it is, I'm going to have to confiscate it. And she's like, no, he didn't leave me anything, nothing to show you. And then he's like, but who's to say where I found it? You know, that the silo is a, a big place. So they go to her place. She grabs a pouch from the hiding spot, you know, it's like up above a, or this pipe, or whatever. She takes out the Pez. He's like, what's this? She's like, I don't know. You know, it's like, maybe it was, he's, he's like, maybe it was his way of saying goodbye, giving you something. Then she pulls out the note and she's, she's like, he left this with it but the notes torn and he looks at it, he's like where's the rest of it and she's like that's all there was she's like i don't know the note says remember when or remember where you last saw this so in the pez dispenser she takes him through this tunnel and she's like what i'm about to show you is more illegal than any relic i'm sure up top knows about it but they don't seem to care and sheriff's like i'm from up top and i have no idea where we're going they reach this big sign like at the end of this tunnel and it says, do not proceed beyond this point. It's a punishable, uh, punishable violation of the pact or something like that. Then she, she's asked, she's like, are agreements still apply? And he's like, yeah. So she takes a sign off the wall and there's like this big hole behind her and it, like that you can like walk through. She's like, I hope you're not afraid of the dark or tight spaces or heights. They enter, she has this lantern. There's like writing and stuff on the wall. He's like, who did all this? And she's like, I don't know. She's like, I think it was here before the rebellion. They, then there's like this hole in the ground to go down. There's like a ladder, like, you know, wire or metal ladder like on the wall. So they, they climb down, they reach the bottom. They enter this big, bigger area. She plugs in like this cable and some lights come on and she like hits some levers. And she's like, there's probably like a hundred work lights at some point. So in front of them, it's like this huge structure in this pit, like this huge, big thing, machinery or something. And he's like, what's that? And she's like, best guess, it's what's left of the machine that dug the silo. Theory goes, Digger comes down this far. There's no easy way to get it out. So the founders, this, they just walled it off with a 30 foot cap of concrete. Anything of value has been stripped off long ago. And the first time I saw this place, it made me realize how little we know about the silo. 
then she wants to continue, but she says it's it's better, you know, not to look down. You know, they're going to keep going. There's this other ladder, and it's just like really super steep. Or, you know, there's like like nothing around. They reach the bottom, and he's like, "What is this place?" And she's like, "It's George. He put all this together." So there's like you know just little like like furniture and you know workspace or whatever. And she's like, you know, taking out this Pez dispenser. She's like, the last time I saw this was down here. It was in this box. So she pulled out this box. And she's like, these are why he wanted to keep us a secret. So she pulls out some things. And she's like, you know, if he ever got caught with them, he didn't want me to get sucked in. And the sheriff's like, are these all relics? She's like, yeah. And like, she pulls out a camcorder. She's like, I've never seen this one before. And he's like, maybe that's what he wanted you to see. And she's like, I have no idea what it is. So, you know, Dick George looks at it and he doesn't know what to do with it. And he's like, so George sold and traded relics? And she's like, yeah, he was obsessed with the before time. He'd come down here on his own and he'd be looking for something. He never told me what. He just said that he'd know it if he saw it. And she looks at this other thing and she's like, it's like this plastic wire used to be wrapped around the spool. And she's like looking around. There's like wire like all draped around. So she starts like following the wire and it's like going like all over. And she goes like long way to this, like kind of like a plank or like a pipe's like sticking out over this big hole. And then she like pulls it out of the darkness. She like lifts it up. There's another pouch. And inside, it's a hard drive that Allison looked at when she went down there. And the paper there says like instructions on how to recover deleted files. So that was Allison's article. So she sees that there's writing on the back. She's like, that's not George's handwriting. So the sheriff flips over and looks at it. He's like, it's my wife's. Juliet's like, do you think your wife knew George? He said that Allison did some IT work for him not long before she went out. Julia's like, why didn't you tell me that? You know, did, did you talk to him? He's like, once. And she's like, oh, poop. She's like, the watch. You, you've seen it before, hadn't you? That's why you checked the wrists. That's why you knew we were together. Is that why you're here? To see if I had anything to do with why your wife went out to clean? He's like, I came down here to determine the cause of death. She's like, BS. She's like, you're wondering if George had anything to do with why your wife went out to clean. He's like... And I'm going to have to tell judicial his death was an accident. And she's like, why? Why would you do that? He was murdered. The sheriff's like, by how? She's like, I don't know who. And she's like, there's a reason why George hid this. Maybe it'll tell us why, what happened to him. She's like, I don't know why he did a fudge, why he hit a fudging hard drive. Sheriff's like, this is a red level relic, making it a threat to the order in a silo. She's like, I don't care about order in a silo. I want you to do your job. And he's like, maintaining order in a silo is my job. And she's like, what about finding out the truth? He's like, I got to get this into the incinerator before anyone else finds it. And she's like, no. And she like tries grabbing it. He's like, that's enough. And she's like, maybe if you listen to your wife, she'd still be alive right now. And then he just like glares at her. Then he's like, to get to my office, I have to walk through the cafeteria. So now I go to work before dawn and I come home after dark just so I don't have to see her body on that hill. He's like, Allison asked questions too, but she was never afraid. Then she's like, then please help me. He's like, I'll keep trying to find out what happened to George, but you have to stay quiet and you have to keep your head down. Stop wearing that watch. It may be legal, but it draws attention. When I find something, I'll send word, a signal. And she's like, anything I can do while I wait? He's like, I have to figure out what this is and you need to trust me. So then back to the lady in the, the room with the toaster or whatever. She says to Juliet, she's like, you actually said that if you'd listen to your wife, she'd still be alive? And she's like, and you wonder why you never heard from him again? She's like, you know, maybe you should take a day and get your mind off it. And Juliet's like, maybe I should keep my mind on it. 
It's like, I didn't know, or I didn't show the sheriff everything. You know, the bottom half of the note George left me. And it says, I found what I was looking for. And she's like, why didn't you show this to the sheriff? And she's like, George told me that whatever he was looking for was more dangerous than any relic. He was afraid me even knowing about it could get me sent out. And she's like, what was, was what was he looking for? And she's like, this is getting dangerous. And, and Julia's like, yeah. So Marnes is still with the, the mayor, you know, they're finishing the drink. So he tells the mayor that he's got the judge's picks for sheriff. There are four mediocre candidates just to shine a light on the one that she really wants. So some dude named Paul Billings. And she's like, oh, yeah, I remember he was a deputy. And Marnes is like, yeah, in the mids. He's like, he was a good guy till he abandoned us for judicial. He got married and wanted better hours. He's like, and to be honest, you know, Paul Billings wouldn't be the worst. And the mayor's like, I don't want somebody who's not the worst. So she keeps worrying about, you know, like an armed mob is going to come up the stairs and 140 years of peace will go down a drain. She's like, I wish Holston, you know, said who he wanted for the job. And Marnes like, he did. He left a note. And she's like, why did you wait until now to tell me? And Marnes is like, because it's ridiculous. It's a sign he wasn't quite there at the end. And Mayor's like, who'd he choose? Marnes is like, he might want to top off your drink. So he reads, in my final act as sheriff, I, Holson Becker, nominate Juliet Nichols of Mechanical as my successor. She's an engineer. Even if she refuses, I ask that this badge, my personal property, be given to her. The mayor, she's like, I want to meet her. And he's like, are you sure? And she's like, I want to meet her, not give her the job. So he's like, okay, I'll message her. And she's like, I'll go to her. And Martin's like, oh, yeah, it's like 144 levels. She's like, I just sent a sheriff out to clean. I need to walk the silo. The people need to see the mayor. So Juliet is down in Georgia's secret area. She thinks back. She commented that, you know, she had a lot of rope or he had a lot of rope. And, you know, she's like, what do you need it for? And he's like, to get to where I'm going. And then she was like, okay, where's that? And he says the past. And she's like, what are you looking for? He's like, what I'm looking for isn't nearly as important as what I found. You. And she's like, oh, you're corny or whatever. And he says, you know, he's looking for a door. He saw it in an old drawing. It's at the end of a short tunnel. And she's like, what's behind it? You know, how do you even know it's real? He's like, I don't now. That's why I need to find it. It's, you know, somewhere down there at the bottom. And she's like, there's water down there. And he's like, I know the water scares you. Uh, and she says, you know, to make her a deal. If he's going to go down there, she doesn't want to know until after. And he's like, deal. And smooch. So in the place, she gathers the rope. She goes to the edge of the plank. You know, she like kind of tied it off, tosses the rope over, starts hanging over the little edge, starts climbing down the rope. At one point, she like slips, but she like catches hold. And then her like her headlamp falls off, goes into water and like sinks. And then she keeps climbing down. And that's the end of the second episode. So I'm I'm hooked on this. Um, I I've never heard of this book series. I downloaded the first book on Audible because I do the Audible subscription, so I get credits. I just don't know if I when I should start listening to it because it's cool to know what happens, but I don't want to spoil the show. But it's also cool in case there's like a departure from the book and the show to see how they compare because you know that's what I did with uh, the Peripheral, the, the Amazon show. So I don't know. Um, if I'll start it soon or how long. So with the, the show, so right now, I think there are four episodes. There might be five episodes out now. So next week, I don't know if I'll be able, maybe I'll try to do two more episodes next week to get caught up. 
we'll see. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. But yeah, I, I'm Apple TV Plus. Yeah, you should check this, this out. Okay, then the main feature is Fast X. So like I said, it's a weird title, Fast and Furious 10. This, this, this movie kind of goes all out. It's a Fast and the Furious movie. It's, a, it's crazy, over-the-top, ridiculous action scenes. You know, a lot of uh, Vin Diesel kind of standing there, posturing, brooding or whatever. But in a way, it, it's, it's, it's intriguing to what, what they do because they, they, there's so many characters now. There's so many characters in this movie. And some, of, some people just have like kind of little, almost like just cameos. So I really like that, you know, we're, we're, I guess we're approaching the end. I don't even know how many movies are going to be because this, this is like part one of the finale. So I don't know if the next movie is going to be Fast X 2 or if it's going to be Fast 11. I, I don't even know. But this definitely leaves, ends on some cliffhangers. But, you know, seeing, a, they're, they're, they tie a lot of like random things from the past. And it's, it's interesting to, to see like how, how, they they do this and how they've they've tied some things, so it starts off with a kind of like a almost like a flashback scene from the previous movie, and I think it was um, Fast Five where they're in maybe it was in in was it in Rio, and they cause the death of a dude. It's, it's the, the one where where they wait was it Fast Five, where they they steal the vault, you know, like the safe. And they're like dragging it with for the couple cars, but then it turns out that Jason Momoa was it was his dad that was killed. I'm pretty sure I'm almost positive Jason Momoa wasn't in Fast Five, wasn't the other one that they kind of not necessarily retconned it, but they kind of inserted him in these scenes. So it was kind of you know neat if, if the fact that if that's what they did. I'm pretty sure I'm not a Fast and Furious expert. I have finally seen all the movies before the last one. But I, I'm no by no means an expert on the world. There's just like too much, and then you know with all the different things, you know, different order and whatever. So Jason Momoa decides he wants to get revenge against Dom and his family, but he, he doesn't want just like a quick death. He wants to make him suffer. I guess that's why you're looking at from Fast Five to Fast Ten. That's why it's taken him so long. Now. The thing, I, I think the biggest problem I had with this movie was Jason Momoa. He plays a very over-the-top, very animated, sometimes flamboyant, sometimes just goofy and, and wacky. But it's, it's almost, sometimes it's just like too much, like too, like of a comic, not even like a comic book villain. It's just, you know, like just doing a dance. I mean, he wasn't twirling a mustache or anything like that. But it's just kind of being like weird and wacky. I, I feel like is kind of doing something, you know, when you look at like how Joker has been portrayed sometimes and you're just kind of sort of like the, the Heath Ledger or, or or maybe even like Jared Leto. Well, I don't know about so, so much about that, but just, just kind of like being very like just energetic and just like out there and kind of goofy and just, you know, whatever, but also being extremely deadly and murderous at the same time. So something, it just, it felt like it was just, just too much. And, with Jason Momoa, it's like he has he you know he's he's playing things so, you know he's he's not a dumb dumb because you know he's he's got all this orchestrated and you know 
a lot of their money was taken. Maybe apparently must not have been all of it, or some he had somehow to acquire another fortune because to do everything he's doing. But part of what I I don't like is there's just some some moments where it's like it's you could have just easily taken him out right there and put a stop to this whole thing. But it's almost like he's untouchable and he can do whatever. And you know he had just, everything is, must just be mapped out perfectly. So th- that was just a, the main the main problem that that I had because uh, then like Roman, he wants to lead. You know, he, they, there's this gig that comes up, and you know he wants to take the lead on this. So they go to Rome, and it, it ends up being a setup. And there's this big massive bomb which you see in the trailer the big like metal ball rolling through the streets just destroying everything and so by the time uh, uh dom gets there vin diesel uh you know he's trying to stop the, the bomb trying to save his his family you know his, his friends and also try to save any every single person that he can so he's like elevated himself to like a superhero where he's trying to save other people and he's a good guy, but it's it's I don't know it's it's just it's just kind of weird in a way because you know so many people don't see him as that, and you know he immediately gets the the blame that gets placed on him even though he's done so much good in all his past movies. But there's just some um, so yeah, so there, there's just a lot of crazy things, and and the, the, I love how they bring in all the characters, and there's even some it's like wait you know is this person gonna be good is this person gonna be bad is this person was bad before are they good now and you know you're you're kind of questioning different things but um i have to say like you know some standouts like john cena i i almost forgot that he was in this movie i know he was in in the past but like when he shows up it, it was it was like a cool moment and everything and he he does some some cool funny things and everything like that so he was he's a good character and uh uh brie larson I I I love Brie Larson. I think she she's really cool. I almost don't. I'm not. I don't know how we feel about her character. I don't know if if it's a secret who her character is. I, I'm sure it's not. But she's you know trying to help Dom basically. I'll, I'll just say that. Actually, you know to be honest. So here, you know, I try to avoid things. I actually thought that she was going to be bad. She doesn't. Let's just, let's just say. Let me just of you know cautiously say she doesn't start off as bad so whether i'm teasing or not teasing whatever but i i thought it was going to start off with her and jason momoa but that no it doesn't happen that way so maybe later because you never know there are uh, let me just say i feel like i'm saying too much but there there are going to be some betrayals and and again, it kind of keeps you guessing: Is it going to be this person? Is it going to be this person? You know, who's going to turn? Because even though they're family, there are are some people who are stronger. You know, who've been family from the beginning, and there's other people who have been who've joined the family along the way, and everything like that. But with um, Brie Larson's character, you know, she she is pretty tough. You know, she's got some cool scenes and everything like that. But I almost feel like she wasn't tough enough. And and we obviously. You know, as Captain Marvel, she can be total, you know, such a kick butt character. So I almost feel like that there are some aspects of her that not that it made her soft, but I, I felt like that she wasn't as tough as you would have liked. And I mean, there, there's a whole scene between uh, Michelle Rodriguez and Charlize Theron fighting and, and that it's ridiculous. It's totally unnecessary. 
But it's, it's the same thing. It was, it was unnecessary when Vin Diesel and The Rock were fighting. You know, I guess that's just maybe what people want to see. Um, and the whole thing is, you know, Charlize Theron, Theron her, her role was, was interesting. Um, but the, we, we, you know, like everyone comes in, you know, Jordana Brewster, I'm, I'm glad she was there for, for as long as she was. Maybe she doesn't survive. But, you know, and then you know, Tyrese Gibson is funny and him and Ludacris, you know, the way they argue with each other. Um, you know, then we even have Jason Statham show up. Um, Helen Mirren's, you know, there. So it's like, they're you know, they're bringing in like every, almost every single character who was in this because if they're wrapping things up then you, know, you want to see all these characters. But it's just the, the stakes are high. I'll, I'll, I don't know if I said this already, but what I will say is, Dom, you know, be, because Jason Momoa's character is is trying to unleash revenge against him, against him and his family, and anyone who's ever helped him or whatever, there are going to be some deaths, and um, it it you know it does make things interesting because if we are approaching the end, here's a fan favorite character. Okay, yeah, maybe we can kill him. You know, we still have the potential for more movies because I, I, I find it almost hard to believe that, okay, because I, I think I, th- I, I thought I heard something that, that this finale was going to be like a trilogy. So, okay, maybe we'll potentially have 12 movies. But I, I feel like they're, as long as these movies are making money and as long as they can come up with ideas, they're going to keep going. The only thing is, you know, they it's like they keep trying to up the the craziness like what big you know stunt can we do and you know it's it's they've already gone out into space kind of and you know they've already had like a a submarine and uh, i don't know even though there's still potentially maybe two more movies or more it's possible maybe someone's like yeah whatever i'll 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 bow out and or maybe you know it could be a bummer that they're not going to get the paycheck after that, but maybe they can get like a bonus or something, or maybe it'll be like a flashback scene where they could still do something. But I, th- I think it is as, as much as I hate deaths, I think, you know, you want to, you want that threat to be there. You know, the, the problem I have with like comic book deaths is they never stick. But if some, <laughs> although in fast and furious deaths, you know, I, I guess no one really stays dead in, in the fast and furious movies. So I guess it's almost the same thing there. So that's the other thing. You could kill off some people in this movie, and maybe they do, but they could be back in the next movie. They could be back in five movies if there are five movies because it, it seems like there's, yeah, there's no telling what's going to happen. It's, it's, um, it's a silly movie, you know, but it's a Fast and Furious movie. You're not supposed to take these seriously. And there are some things that I'm just like, oh, my, my goodness, like, seriously. But I, actually, you know, it didn't bother me as much as in some of the past movies because he just, it's expected. So it's like, okay, this is pretty ridiculous. That's just how it goes. Dom is like, you know, this unstoppable whatever, you know, he can do anything. So that's just how it is. And it's, it's definitely ridiculous. There's the, the whole, this one, John Cena's first scene. It's like people could have gotten really hurt with when he's trying to like save some other people and, and it's like pure luck that you know things didn't go really bad. So I don't know. But it was um 
it, it was it was fine. It, you know, it was a fun movie. I do feel like it's something that should be seen on a big screen. You know, if you care about these movies, you want to see it on a big screen. You want to see the action sequence, the driving sequence, and everything like that because they're just so so big and so. I don't even know what word how to describe them. So I would say you should definitely, if you care, see it on on the big screen. Rotten Tomatoes looks like it's maybe at a fifty three percent. I don't know if this is updated. Yeah, so you know, I I don't think it really should be a surprise how how silly it's going to be, but that's just how how it is. I see. So I guess Brian Truitt of US Today praised Jason Momoa's performance. I just didn't didn't like it. Let's see. Wait. Um, Liam Crowley of Comic Book. Wait. Let's go back up. Momoa's performance was widely praised by critics. Eric Eisenberg of Cinema Blend said Momoa plays Dante like the Fast and Furious versions of the Joker, concluding it was a delightful portrayal of a gleeful psychopath. It was just. It was too much for me. That's just my opinion. Liam Crowley of Comic Book seconded his view, calling Momoa hilarious. I don't think there's we should have hilarious in this, not this much. While um, Screen Rants Joseph Deckelmeyer said Momoa brings magic to a performance which oozes charisma. And then Brian Truitt praises performance and criticizes screenplay. So maybe I'm the only one that didn't like his performance. I don't know. You tell me. So, um, but he was fine, you know. He 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 plays a good villain. You know, he really ups the ante and he, he goes all out. I just feel like it was too much sometime, and it was just like too too. Either he's so well planned, so smart, or just incredibly lucky. I don't know, but that's pretty much it. I mean, it's 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 and again, there's like there's actually like maybe two cliffhangers at the end of this movie. You might be kind of bummed with that. It's like wait. I'm not getting a complete movie here, but it's happened before. So you definitely, we need another movie sooner rather than later to pick up these threads. So, um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. It's, it's again, if you, if, if, if you've watched the other nine movies, why aren't you going to watch this? You know, it just goes without saying. So that is going to be it for this week. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently talking about 1985's Fantastic Four by John Byrne. Um, I'll probably be talking about a movie soon. There's one that I've seen a movie from the 90s that I never saw up until like a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. So I'll probably talk about that soon. And I, I feel like doing another off my mind topic. I'm going to talk about the whole Mary Jane fiasco thing at some point. I just need to, to get vent about that. So we'll see. And I'm always open to, you know, if there's anything you want to hear about, any movies you want to hear about, my thoughts, or any like stuff in comics, past or current or present. Um, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmanformic and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. That is ko-fi.com slash gmanformic. What is going to be next week? Um, so next week, it's the 300th episode. I do not have anything celebratory planned for it. It's just, it's, it's, I think it's just going to be another episode. <laughs> but the movie features Little Mermaid. 
We're going to celebrate the 300th episode with The Little Mermaid. Maybe I I have like very low expectations. I don't know what, what to think about this. Maybe it's going to be better than I thought. I'm not like anti. There's a lot of angry people that when it first came out. I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with it. We'll see. You'll find out about that. And then, of course, more Silo, uh, the Flash finale, uh, more Citadel, and maybe something else. Who knows? Maybe something else will pop up. But that is going to be it. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for, um, if you're a patron, thank you for your, your commitment. I deeply, deeply appreciate that. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are having a great week. I hope you had a great week, depending on when you listen to this. I hope you're taking care of yourself. And I hope you remember to be good to each other. 